Hello and welcome to Seriously Wrong. By popular request, we're unlocking this episode that was first released on March 1st, 2023 for our beautiful genius community on Patreon. Uh, We do at least one bonus episode every month, so if you want to support our little show and help buy tins of beans for your beloved clowns, please do hit us up on Patreon today. We can't do the show without you, but we're unlocking this one now for everyone. So if you like it and you want more great bonus episodes and access to our entire archive going back to the sepia tone days of 2014, please do hit us up on Patreon today. We can't do the show without you. But without further ado, um, I'll just pop on this tape, so... Warning. Stealing Patreon-only episodes of Seriously Wrong is a crime. Under no circumstances should you ever share art that you love with the people you care about. That's twisted. And you're twisted for even thinking about it. Especially not if you stole it. Like if you broke into our homes and took the episode away from us, like deleted it from my hard drive, deleted it from all servers, and then shared it just with you and your friend, like you stole it from us, that would be completely unreasonable. If on the other hand, you just, you downloaded it, you want to share it with a friend, uh, that's not really stealing. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't put that in the same moral category, just to be clear. Go right ahead. Don't steal it. Don't come come into my house. Don't release this on your own podcast feed as your podcast and try to play it off that like oh we have a cold and we sound different from normal this is our podcast yeah that would be a different type of of, that'd be kind of a type of stealing but then even then there's kind of this paradox with piracy that like the bigger the podcast that did that to us the more attention would come to us right and And the the smaller smaller, the less it would matter exactly so there's not even a middle ground thing where it becomes perfectly bad it's just always kind of fine it sucks in a way, like if people are ripping you off and stuff like that, I get being outraged if someone's ripping you off. But at the same time, like, I don't really think there's any way you can steal this podcast in a way that matters. Even a Patreon episode, it's paywalled by default, but there's ways to get around that. And if you want to share it, I mean, like, sure, encourage your friends to sign up on our Patreon. You don't have to encourage your friends to sign up to the Patreon either. It's I said fine. you can. <laughs> yeah, no, that's right. <laughs> I just imagined someone being like, you should really sign up for the seriously wrong Patreon. I'm like, ah, I don't. It's not the worst thing in the world if people were saying that oh, to yeah, their friends. Oh, yeah, not at all. Like, I'm... I would appreciate it even if they didn't pull it off right. I'm just not sure if it's the... Yeah, I don't want to nag people <laughs> necessarily into doing it. I just, you know, just reminding them it's an option but part of i think of what people are paying for with the patreon is like bonus episodes and one central easy place on an rss feed that you can put in your podcast catcher but that's a service that you're paying for like the episodes themselves if they slip out and people upload them and post it on reddit or something or sharing it or i I don't really care that much about that and i think it would be beneficial so Totally. Yeah. And we have to sort of like grow the Patreon over time in order to make the show at the level we want to do and be able to grow and make the best works possible. Yeah. Supporting artists is good. But at the end of the day, it's always a treasure to have someone's time and attention. If ever we get super rich, especially, feel free to go nuts. Belongs to everyone. The poorer we are, the more it benefits us if you pirate it because it spreads the word about us. And the richer we are, the more it's okay to pirate us because we have enough money anyway. So it's win-win on either side. Hey, kid. Kid, come over here. Uh, oh, who's that? Oh, it's a man in a trench coat. Yeah. Hey, check what this do you, out. Uh, what do you, you like want to tapes? show me in this alley here? Tapes. 
Sure, yeah, I don't mind tapes. It depends what's on them, but... We got seriously wrong bonus episodes here. You know, this is usually locked behind the uh, Patreon paywall, but we got them made up in these beautiful tapes. Look at this cover art. It's taken from the episode art. Five bucks a pop, three for ten. Shh, just don't tell the artists. Wink. Wow, these are beautiful. It's really well done. The artwork, well cropped, and... Yeah, yeah, I don't know. If these were official tapes, maybe I could buy them, but... Not telling the wrong boys, the artists, that just that seems wrong. Don't you feel bad? Aren't you kind of stealing from them? No, no, we've been asking them for tapes forever. They won't do it. Right, well, yeah, we have been asking for tapes, and they aren't listening, but... This is like a labor of love for me, you know? I, I bring the tapes to the people. I mean, they are, they're so beautiful. I'm just imagining a tape shelf with all these up on the shelf, like, mm-hmm. all, the, all the bonus episodes, how beautiful that would be. Look, I'm not making a ton of money off of this. It's not like that. I'm not some fat cat, you know, cutting them out. This is a labor of love. It's archivism. It's preservation. Uh, right. It's providing something they refuse to provide. And I, and I like to think, you know, I don't get paid too much, but I like to think it helps promote the show. So it's promotion dollars to them, if anything. Right. Well, I guess, yeah, a lot of people might ask about that tape shelf if I had them all up there. And then I could tell them about the show. Um, I mean, well, what are you planning to do with the money? Are you going to use it to hire a hitman to kill an innocent person or something more oh, uh, oh, mundane oh, than that? No, 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 that's not me at all. Okay, I just, you never know what kind of person you're dealing with. I try to keep this kind of stuff secret from the customers, but this trench coat was actually gifted to me by my grandnephew. He's uh, got leukemia, child leukemia. Oh, oh and, no, I'm uh, so sorry. Uh, yeah, because it's a for-profit medical system. We have to flip tapes to get him the treatment he needs, and uh, I wear this overcoat to uh, honor him as he gave it to me for my uh, birthday. So that's what keeps me getting up in the morning, keeps me going to the street corner, selling these bootleg seriously wrong tapes. That's, you know, oh. I don't like to lead with that. I want the, the quality of the tape to speak for itself. <laughs> oh. But, um, oh, that's beautiful. That's beautiful. That's, here, I'll buy the whole set. I'll buy the whole lot of them. Oh. And hope that little champion makes it through. I Actually, you know, I have a tape player right here. Do you want to sit with me a moment and listen to one of them? Oh, yeah, my afternoon's free. I was, you know, I was planning to hawk these tapes all afternoon, but if you're buying them all, I'd, I'd love to sit down and listen to one of these classic Seriously Wrong bonus episodes. Great, great. Let's uh, wheel the tape player out, and uh, oh, such a sad story. Uh, we'll pop the tape in, and do you want to press play? Oh, it's your tape. You hit play. All right. Are you serious? Hello, ladies and germs. Welcome to Seriously Wrong podcast. Well, come to Seriously Wrong. Well, <laughs> I was just thinking, yeah, well, you could say welcome or you could say well, comma, come to Seriously Wrong. It's a, well, come to Seriously Wrong. 
Yeah. One kind of works as a greeting. One's more of a sort of a nonsense statement, but they both sound very similar. I've been saying the nonsense statement this whole time, all these years. No one ever noticed. <laughs> You're just like, oh, I just assumed that's what people were always saying. It's not. <laughs> so today on Seriously Wrong, I want to kind of stake out a position about internet piracy. And in particular, peer-to-peer copying technology, which I consider to be one of the most impactful and enriching things to ever happen to the human species in the total history of humanity. Internet piracy isn't just something that's acceptable or defensible, or it's not just something that like, oh, it's not the best, but it's okay. It's capital G good, capital B best. And I know what you're thinking. Oh, have the wrong boys turned evil? Are they defending everything horrible under the sun now? They've picked something horrible to defend randomly, and now they're trolling? But no, for real, I want to stake out a really strong position here. This internet piracy, peer-to-peer sharing, is utopia trickling into the present from the future. It is a fountain of life that was turned on in our lifetimes and which changed the world forever, creating a new information renaissance. That will dictate the future of humanity and how we react to it. Yeah, I mean, with peer-to-peer file sharing, I think that the ability to easily, widely disseminate and copy with the click of a button is massively culturally beneficial. And yeah, I think we haven't really seen the full results of that new technology spreading throughout the world. In terms of piracy specifically, I think that it's a reaction to an unjust set of property laws that have been implemented that really hamstring the potential of this technology. And it's sort of a a way of circumventing borders and barriers that have been put up ostensibly to benefit artists, but more often benefiting middlemen and corporations and other people who kind of get in the way there. But I think that in terms of piracy itself, there's still some ambiguity there about whether or not it's a complete good, whether there are legitimate negative repercussions from piracy that are worth talking about. But in terms of making us evil, I definitely don't think it makes us evil. I I think people can disagree, but... <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, I'm, okay, I'm, I am sympathetic to, just all irony aside, I'm really sympathetic to creators who are convinced of arguments around piracy and the common yeah, sense yeah, that they've heard. I have heard a little and, small artist on my shoulder who's hearing you say all these things and is just like, oh, so you hate, you hate us. Even though you're one of us, you're a self-hating small artist. Yeah, or but, maybe no, we're, but we're... <laughs> that's why it's so important that we stake out the strong position on this show. and Yeah, we're staking out the position. We don't care about artists. We don't think they deserve to get paid. We think that they should labor away for our benefit and we get everything they make for free and suck all the sweat off their brow the sweet sweat off their brow without paying in the hard-working artists dripping with sweat being exploited <laughs> they sweat for our amusement and we, think we don't we need should, to pay for it you can reach into their pockets and take food out of the mouths of their children that's what we're saying but i actually i really think that full-throated support of piracy and full-throated support of artists are genuinely the same. There, there isn't a contrast there. So over the course of the episode, we're going to talk about a lot of different angles on the piracy debate. And our shared position is pretty strongly in favor of piracy. And then my position in particular is as 
pro-piracy as I can fathom. If I was to phrase it one way based on we've kind of been talking about this, Sean believes piracy is a perfect unalloyed good. Yes. And I believe it is a strong net good with perhaps some drawbacks uh, inherent to the system in which we live. Right. I, I wouldn't say that there's never any drawbacks in any circumstances, but it's such a net good on such a scale that it's almost absurd to talk about the drawbacks. It's like it's like saying, oh, there's this drawback of like anti-cancer medicine that the people who used to make the old cancer medicines are out of business now or something. It's like we just cured cancer. Like, what are you talking about the drawbacks to the non-cancer curing community? Like, it's, it's, it's a participatory thing. Piracy is an environment where people are not just passively receiving media and content. They're actively searching and trying and sampling. There's so much more agency involved in it. And that's why I, use, I think of Renaissance is because it creates a higher level of media literacy to be part of an active curation, sharing, social art community. And then that makes artists better at what they do because they're embedded in the canon. And so like, anyways, we've got a lot of time to talk all about all this sort of stuff. But yeah, my position, piracy is not wrong. It's not even ambiguous. People who pirate are perfect angels acting according to a higher moral good. Yeah, I would say there's a few pirates I could think of who <laughs> maybe should have paid for a few of the things, and myself included sometimes. But uh, today on the show, we are going to take a look at the history of copyright and copyright infringement. And as well, we are going to respond to objections to piracy. Let's uh, methodically go through this one at a time. Internet piracy versus its detractors. Or as I would frame it, internet piracy detractors versus facts, logic, and reason, and ethics. <laughs> and supporting the rights of children and having a democratic society. We now go to a papa discovering something horrifying, disgusting, about his boy. All right, time to download the ones and zeros from the peer computer to my own computer and done. Oh, an MP3 file. Perfect. Let's give it a listen. You must think that I'm a restless case because I ran away. Oh, hey, that's that's pretty good. I kind of like this tune. Son, son, what are you doing in there? Uh, oh, oh, nothing, Dad. Oh, jeez. Can you knock before you come in? Why? What are you looking at? Is that... Nothing. That... Did you... I'm just... Wait. No, I... I'm just... Did uh, you download... Did you pay window, to download this? Song? This window's not closing. There's something wrong with my computer. Is that an illegal MP3 file? Son, I'm so disappointed in you. Dad, it's for education and research purposes. <laughs> son... Don't you know that your old man fancies himself a bit of an artist? How would you feel if people were stealing from me? I know, Dad. You fancy yourself something of an artist. I fancy myself a bit of a small artist, and I honestly could not be more disappointed in you. My own son. Pirating. I'm sorry, okay? All the other kids at school were making me do it. Oh, and if all the kids at school wanted to jump off a cliff, you'd do the same? <laughs> Yes, I have to, Dad. Well, I'm... You wouldn't? You know what? You're out of the will. I'm leaving all my money to small artists. How does that feel? 
trying to take money away from them. Well, now they're going to be taking money away from you. Oh, geez, Dad, I'm sorry. I don't know what I was... Don't cut me out of the will. Well, you have until I die to win my good graces back, so I better not catch you pirating any files again. Okay, fine. I will uh, listen to the radio or something. Just whatever they play or whatever crap they're playing. And all the ads. I'll pollute my mind with the ads. That's right. And the tedious banter. Or you could get a job and pay for some songs. Okay, Dad, close the door. Let me be... Close the door and knock. As a general rule. So I want, I want independence and stuff. Normal for kids to want that. All right. Uh, yeah, I'll try to remember. It does slip my mind sometimes. It's hard not to still see you as just my precious little baby who's still... I own you, and I, you need me to do everything for you and decide everything for you. And I know, Dad. You've done the precious baby spiel before. Just please close the door. All right, my precious little baby. Now, just think about what you've done, but goodbye. Okay, Heading bye. out now, but bye. And that was a papa discovering something horrible about his son and handling it uh, quite well, in my opinion. I think he did a pretty good job there. Really finesse that situation, Pop. Good on ya. So I think at the top of the list, the number one criticism of piracy is that it is stealing. Right, you're taking something from somebody that you would normally have to pay for without paying for it. Right, they've set up this barrier of this financial hoop to jump through in order to access something they've created, and you've circumvented that, and that circumvention is synonymous with taking something like from a store or from someone's personal... Yeah, it's like a digital store, like, you know, you're taking something from the digital Amazon store. But I think, well, there's like a really classic argument against this that I think isn't the whole reason why it's not stealing, but uh, is a big part of the reason, which is that copying something and stealing something are really different because when you copy something, the other one still exists. The, like when you take a copy of the book from an online ebook store, the ebook store doesn't have fewer books to sell. Yeah, they're not losing they're stock. They not, can no yeah. longer sell. So just on a technical level, like it's kind of metaphorically theft, if you wanted to think of it like that, but it's not theft. Yeah, no, I, I think as a metaphor, I see the connection. You could say maybe if you expanded the definition of theft to have a spectrum with these sort of outliers where things are more or less theft, and you could argue there's a little, some percentage of theft you could place this on the spectrum but yeah i would say that it's actually the copyright system and the copyright cartels that are theft there's this great quote from an ancient pirate talking to alexander the great he said something really apt and true i thought yeah i think constantine thought the same thing and he said basically when i do it with my one ship i'm a pirate i'm a bad guy i'm evil but when you do it with your whole fleet of ships everyone calls you emperor and you're in charge and the same applies in this context. The whole system for copyrights and supporting artists is just like a broken system with the vast majority of artists shut out from doing work in the first place. The small majority that gets to do artistic work is exploited. And with a tiny sliver that sometimes makes a lot of money based on a variety of contingent circumstances, but the vast majority of artists are exploited under the current system. 
Yeah, they're exploited by bosses and companies. And there's like contract artists who are like making things directly for a boss. And then there's also record labels, publishing houses with predatory contracts that exploits artists that literally steals most of their money from them. So like, you know, bands who had hit songs 20 years ago are like, yeah, we don't get any money. Like the label owns the music. We can tour, but it's, yeah. That I would say, like if I was making spectrums of theft... I would say that the way that artists are treated in the industry broadly is higher on the theft scale than downloading someone's book that you maybe were never even going to pay for in the first place, which is an important point because if someone was never going to buy your book, it's not actually a lost sale. It's just increased social capital for your work. It's more appreciation and eyes on your work, more people who might become fans of yours and then who might actually be a promise of a future sale rather than a lost sale. Yeah. Artists aren't being exploited by their own fans. The time and attention that we get as artists from our audience is so valuable in itself. Now, Obviously, artists need to find ways and models that they can support themselves with, and fans should care about that and participate in that. But it's important to remember when having these political discussions where the nexuses of power are and who's really exploiting who at the behest of who, who's walking away with the bag, and who are naturally aligned. And I think artists and fans are naturally aligned because they're one group. You can't be a great musician without being a big fan of music. And there's definitely questions and challenges about how to have a society that truly values art. But trying to solve that problem with excessive copyright restrictions and DRM is like trying to cure your thirst by drinking salt water. Well, yeah. Copyright is a series of laws that protect rights holders from having work copied, but it doesn't necessarily protect artists. Artists and rights holders are often not the same group. Sometimes they are, especially with like smaller independent artists and whatnot. But yeah, if we were looking to protect artists, we would want laws designed to protect artists, not laws designed to protect rights holders, regardless of who they are. Which is more theft? Downloading an album on Napster for free, and nobody gets paid for it, or listening to it on Spotify, where Spotify gets paid for it and not the artist. I don't know, you know, like... In my, when I think about all those scenarios, I'm like, I think Spotify is the biggest thief here. <laughs> yeah, well, and, and the labels and the rights holders who are getting... So Spotify sends the money along to the label and rights holders, and then they split it up among all the middlemen. And then by the time it gets to the artist, it's like a fraction of a fraction of a penny per hundred listens or whatever. Yeah. And it's because all the other fractions of pennies went to all these other people. Yeah, and there's also really complex questions about, for example, with a song where you have producers, songwriters, musicians, the place in which it's recorded, studio access. So there's a lot of people who are in the creative nexus. And then music in particular is built entirely on music that came before it. Music theory is based on, you know, decades and centuries of experimenting with different types of music, taking inspiration from each other. There's no such thing as a purely original song. They're all remixes in a way. So that's another layer to the complex questions here. Well, like, yeah, it gets to the stealing point too, because like when you're talking about 
stealing art i guess like there's a difference between saying someone's stealing art when they're consuming it versus saying someone is stealing art when they're incorporating aspects of inspiration from other people's works into their own and like how close you can hew before it's plagiarism obviously i think plagiarism is a real thing but i do think framing the experience of art and sharing art as something to be bought and sold and stolen or not stolen, like misses the point of like what art and cultural trends are for. So yeah, copying isn't theft because when you steal something, you have one less thing and in copying that doesn't happen. So it's in a distinct category. And we could argue about the ethical implications of that new categorization and what frontiers are opened or closed by embracing this or rejecting it. But at the end of the day, piracy isn't theft. It's its own thing. It's a unique thing. Even if you did want to just, you really love that little end of the theft spectrum and saying calling that theft, I think there's a big difference between thieving from door-to-door art salesmen just, just hawking their wares online versus stealing from the equivalent of Walmart. Uh, I think, you know, if you really love a musician who has probably only sold 200 albums and they're like, like, you know, and you listen to it all the time, you have a higher responsibility to pay for it in that instance. I wouldn't even say it's more like theft, but I would say whatever this thing is, it's more wrong in that situation than if you really love the new uh, Beyonce album and you choose to pirate it yeah i I definitely agree theft or not we should try to be conscious consumers who contribute to the things that we value but theft is like a legal matter like if i steal your bike from you then i can be fined or you know face legal consequences you can sue me or whatever like you shouldn't cut in line but no one's going to arrest you for cutting in line And in that same way, you should try to support artistic works around you. But it's more like a courtesy societal rules thing than like carrying a gun and putting people in jail and charging the money kind of thing. But I mean, if you think it's theft, you know, I can't force you not to think that. I, I mean... Then is it theft to watch a movie at someone else's house on someone else's Netflix? Is it theft to lend a book to a friend uh, in a way that wasn't authorized through the official library system through a contract with the publisher? Is it theft to share access to something that you purchased a single person license for? Letting someone use software on your computer to edit their short film or teaching them how to use it without buying software license for them? If we're making a spectrum of theft that includes piracy on it, then the theft spectrum has to include all of these things. Well, yeah, I mean, in history, a lot of those things, like if we think about libraries, if we think about people sharing music with one another, copying tapes, taping from the radio, a lot of these things have been considered stealing. Whereas like those, I'm like, I can't even put that on the stealing spectrum at all. And I do feel like those things are a lot closer to piracy than physically taking a thing from a person. Oh, yeah, way, way closer. I mean, I think also there's sort of the librarianship thread is really connected to modern piracy. The earliest precursors to the public library system as it currently exists was private book clubs where people would pool their money together to buy books that were shared, to have communities of study, philosophical engagement, political engagement, And is that stealing? Is it stealing to 
violate the covenant with publishers that one person buys a book and then like put it on the shelf forever. And if anyone else wants to read the book, (laughs) they need to go buy hot off the press, a new physical copy every time to respect the rights of the publishers and authors. Yeah. I think the historical point there is really good because I do think that while internet piracy shares some things with like historical piracy, piracy, like golden age of piracy, like taking over the ship, Jolly Roger, uh, flying the Jolly Roger. Last episode, Uh, check it out if you haven't yet. (laughs) You know, there's a real core of things there that are related, like democratic, participatory, egalitarian, Robin Hood type ideology taking from the rich so that the poor may benefit. I do think that the truer historical comparison for modern piracy is the history of librarianship, of like pooling resources and sharing copies of things so that more people can benefit from the intellectual, artistic, cultural direction of humanity yeah especially i mean for the end user to make the case that the end user is similar to like a seafaring pirate from the early 1700s it's a really big stretch it's the the, what what a downloader is doing even if they're leaving seating on god forbid uh (laughs) no always eat your vegetables and seed your torrents i always say it's just not piracy. Piracy, like you, you can find better th- through lines to piracy through like the culture of bootlegging over the last century, or even like the facilitators of file sharing. So the people who manufacture file sharing services in places where they're trying to make money for themselves with a sort of open information ideology at the same time and enriching themselves, especially if they're assuming they're going to be shut down in a couple of years. So they're going to live it up in the meantime. I think that was the case with Kazaa in particular, that they were really just like piratey pirates in the sense that they became millionaires and then were all later arrested. Yeah. They approached this to plunder and <laughs> live a short life, but a happy one. So there's, yeah, there's through lines there between classic OG black flag piracy and the modern current golden age of internet piracy that I think we're still in. But the end users, they're really more like the villagers who get the plunder from Robin Hood than like pirates. One commonality they have with golden age pirates is that both the golden age pirates and digital pirates have reclaimed the term pirate after it was first used as a slur. Like the calling people pirates is like an insult by the music industry. Like they're saying you're like those awful nasty seafaring pirates yeah because if they came out saying like oh you're like those awful nasty librarians that everyone hates or library (laughs) users depending on whether you're the person facilitating like ripping tv shows uploading them to torrent sites making little (laughs) mongrels or like library patrons you just (laughs) it it doesn't work that well as an insult so you gotta go with your disgusting evil pirates Because I feel like when we talk about internet piracy, a lot of the time we get caught up talking about too many different types of internet pirates, quote unquote, at once, where you're like, oh, are we talking about someone who downloads things or are we talking about someone who uploads things? Are we talking about someone who sells 
things. So yeah, it's I, I feel like it's good to make distinctions. And even uh, within people who download things, like I've noticed that different people have different lines. Like some people are like, I'll only download things if they're not available in my country, or like I can't find them anywhere to purchase. Uh, and then there's people who will be like, oh, I'll pay for one or two services and switch it around. But if there's a show on another service, I'll, I'll download it. Or there's people like, I'll only pay for the things that I like really, really love and care about, favor smaller artists over bigger ones, but I don't pay for everything. I either consume a lot of art or I just can't afford to consume a lot of art in general. So I portion out the money that I can to where I feel like it's most needed, most deserved. When we talk about internet piracy users, there's different types. There's the power users, the more like sort of half guilty, oh, I only do it if only. Yeah, and distinct from end users, there's facilitators of internet piracy, the people who set up programs and websites and lists and develop new ways for people to share. They can be more or less piratey in general, but I think they tend to be more piratey in the golden age sense than the end users. Right. And before the internet age, I think bootleggers who are making you know for-profit reproductions of popular artists and stuff are kind of like getting even more like golden age pirates, especially if they're trying to make money for a short period of time with the expectation they'll be shut down. Right. That's very golden age piracy. And actually, in fact, multiple historic bootlegging companies use the Jolly Roger as their logo. Right. Yeah. Once you start getting into facilitators and especially then facilitators who make money, I feel like even if you think of historical bootlegging and people like running like operations where they're copying old jazz records or sheet music and selling it to people for a profit, even at that point, it's an interesting combination of the historical sort of golden age piracy, take and plunder and profit with the more archivist oriented these things aren't being sold by the people who own the recordings or their live recordings that we've made ourselves. We, we want these to exist and be out there and be distributable. And like, we care about art and the propagation of art. And yeah, within both current facilitators and the bootlegging history facilitators, there's the more for-profit versus the more ideologically archivist librarian type strains. Oh, another way that internet pirates in the sense of downloading end users are similar to golden age pirates, but to a much lesser sense is they're violating a social convention as a way of exercising power in the context of a system that's built to exploit them. Right. That's yeah, one that makes sense. particular, but yeah, this, the spectrum's interesting. The different varieties here are interesting. There's, there's definitely a continuity that you can trace, but a lot of the continuity is actually built on reacting to a system and being pushed back against the system, being boxed in as a pirate, and then being pushed into the position of embracing it. The continuity isn't necessarily... There's the egalitarian... Yeah, there's an egalitarian impulse in both historical and, and modern current day pirates. And, and like a, a claiming of agency in a context that's trying to take away your agency and like express right. yourself right. as key to all of this also. So yeah, it is a rich metaphor, but I think pirate, internet pirates are doing something really special and unique as well. Yeah, maybe they're like librarians forced into piracy by, a, by an unjust system. You push librarians too hard, they become pirates. I don't know. <laughs> Just spitballing. 
I think librarians are kind of already pirates, actually. Now, sorry, the more that I think of it, uh, especially public librarians, at least if I think about it from the terms of like what the most copyrighty copyright holder would see the situation as. And again, historically, they've made arguments similar to this, that libraries are undercutting their profits in a way that should be illegal and are stealing from them. Yeah, it's just the system temporarily is letting them right. completely just has legalized piracy the, right but i i think it's it's also it's true in the the opposite way that piracy is a direct result of libraries that aren't powerful enough that like internet piracy as we know it and bootlegging are both th- all of all of the valid uses of bootlegging when it comes to archiving things for the future making things are accessible making sure that the steep price points aren't exploitative from industry Everything valid about internet piracy and bootlegging, distinct as they are, is better served by a complete library system that really allows people to access things to the highest technological capability. So no arbitrary limits on ebooks, for example. Give libraries the right to copy and paste things and to share things. Bridge the gap between the piracy world, which is already the, the, the combined pirate library of the internet is one of the best libraries in human history. So Capturing that power and giving that power to public libraries, I think, could be a really revolutionary and transformative thing that also minimizes any downside that you could find about piracy networks. Right. If you're wondering, like, where's the money for that ad I clicked on by accident on the stream now online for you. Yeah, am I doing some business with some shady gangster? <laughs> episode of... <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Am I supporting it? Uh, because I don't want to subscribe to HBO to watch The Last of Us because am, am it's not I in my budget right now. That at some point they did suggest it was supporting terrorism to pirate things. I, I think yes. I think <laughs> we'll fact check it and see we'll if we can check. find it. I just feel like there was some ad or something like the same way they'll like connect like oh d- drug users support terrorism or p- anyway you know supporting criminal organizations quote unquote. Anyway, uh, <laughs> I was saying oh yeah it's it's both true that in some contexts uh, a pirate is a librarian who is pushed too far, uh, but it's also true that piracy is the result of not supporting librarians to provide uh <laughs> right rather than like libraries being inherently kind of piratey pirating is what happens when libraries are artificially restricted and yeah they're filling all these gaps that the rightfully belong to a legal above board well-funded right supportive public thing the library that statistically by the way is the most popular public institution up at the top with first responders and police um, there's very few things very few institutions that pull so well as the public library so right. just a little pragmatic note on <laughs> public polling what's uh, popular with the public and that's one of the reasons that we say legalize online libraries it's just it's just common sense just a quick drop in here. I looked it up and there was definitely attempts made to associate internet pirates with terrorism. The most prominent example of this was in 2003, there was a hearing before a House subcommittee in the United States about international copyright piracy, a growing problem with links to organized crime and terrorism. So I found this fascinating that the U.S. government had an actual hearing to talk about this problem. Uh, And so I'm looking through the document trying to find what's the actual connection here. How is copyright piracy linked to terrorism? 
And what I found was that it's really not, but the, <laughs> the way they make the connection is by conflating a few different things. I'm going to read a couple quotes from this hearing from Jack Valenti, who was the president of the MPAA, the Motion Picture Association of America, at the time. This first one kind of sets the stage. America's crown jewels, its intellectual property, are being looted. Organized, violent, international criminal groups are getting rich from the high-gain, low-risk business of stealing America's copyrighted works. And at another point in the hearing, he's giving a slideshow presentation. As he says now, this next slide is an innocent, pristine, pure little blank DVD. But guess what? You pull back the cover and underneath you have a pirated DVD. We found in one raid over 10,000 pirated DVDs. And now these DVDs will go all over the world. And piracy and guns go hand in hand. This is an organized crime enterprise, Mr. Chairman. This is a sniper rifle, M16, heavy weapons, as well as cocaine was in there. Wherever we go, we find this connection. A lot of terrorists are being funded by this illegal merchandise. So there you go. That's the connection. If we conflate all internet piracy with criminal organizations running bootlegging operations where they are not just pirating DVDs and other parts of the hearing, they're talking about other types of counterfeit merchandise like, you know, fake sneakers that aren't actually the brand they say they are, fake watches. All those things are also intellectual property violations. So criminal organizations sell counterfeit goods along with weapons and drugs, to fund their operations. And we can kind of make a vague link between criminal organizations in general and terrorists in general. So if you follow those associative steps from downloading things as copyright violation to selling counterfeit merchandise as counterfeit operation, and it's a crime done by organized people and organized crime is linked to terrorism, then you get this connection between internet piracy, and terrorism. And now a special message from the RIAA and the MPAA. You wouldn't hunt down and murder an innocent child. You wouldn't throw a newborn kitten at a brick wall. You wouldn't beat an artist within an inch of his life. You wouldn't help drug cartels assassinate journalists. You wouldn't start an orphan sex trafficking ring for fentanyl money. You wouldn't elect an unrepentant child molester as president for life. So why do you think it's okay to do that exact same thing, except online with digital file sharing of movies and music? What are you, a genocider? Are you a moral monster? What's wrong with you? You wouldn't become super Hitler and invent ultra-slavery, groom an army of school shooters on Fortnite, facilitate a genocide so big it becomes known as THE genocide, kidnap all artists and put them in work camps where they worship you as their twisted god and make content for you to listen to for free. So why do you think it's okay to do that exact same thing online with movies and music? Grandpa, Grandpa, please tell me a story. I'm bored. All right, here's the story of Napster. You remember Napster? No, I don't know what that is. You don't remember Napster? It was a huge thing. What are you talking about? It was huge. When was it huge? The year 1999 to 2001. No, Grandpa, I was only born in 2017. That's like 
ancient history to me. Holy shit. Where have the years gone? I'm only six years old. Jesus. So there's a kid, 18-year-old kid, Sean Fanning. Wow, he's old. Oh my god, where have the years gone? So, Sean Fanning, he has this idea he's gonna create an internet hub that people open up their hard drives through a peer-to-peer protocol, which means that what's on my hard drive can be shared to your hard drive, and people can share music that way, and there'll be chat rooms and friends lists, and it'll be a community for people to share music with each other. In his own words, it came from a very pure place. Doesn't that sound wonderful? Yeah, sharing music is great. I love music, and uh, everyone's always told me my whole life that sharing is good, so I can only see this going well. And everyone told Sean Fanning, oh, that idea will never work. You can't share files of music. Oh, I, that's silly. No one will like that. And his, uh, the name Napster, actually, kind of his nickname was Nappy. He was known all through school as Nappy because of his big afro. And he used the username Napster in chat rooms. Oh. One of the people who he worked with was Sean Parker. He, he knew through chat rooms. He was played by Justin Timberlake in the social network, the Facebook movie. Yeah, I don't know. So, so they, they, were, were, they were both named Sean? Two Sean's, yeah. Double Sean, wow. That's cool. Sometimes it takes two Sean's to get the job done. So then he invented music sharing and everybody loved him and he shared music and he lived happily ever after? Well, he made a beta program. It explodes. It's on college campuses everywhere. Kids downloading. There's a media storm around it. Like, is this okay? It's piracy. And they're calling them pirates. They're saying that they're stealing it, that they're... They're, they're music pirates. Oh, I thought they were just sharing it. You're saying they were stealing it? Like they were making it so other people couldn't listen to the music when they t- like they stole it from other people? No, the more they shared it, the more everyone could share it. They just called it stealing because they're liars. Oh, okay. They made a, Or they made an error. Lying is bad. Yeah. So it grows really big. People love it. It's, 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 I had Napster. I shared files on it. I was like, this is the coolest shit ever. I'm all about this. That was my, re- <laughs> that was my reaction to it back in old two, the, probably the year 2000. And the people at Napster, they were creating uh, what they thought was a business. So they were getting funding from investors and they're saying, this is a disruptive technology. Everyone's going to embrace it because it's so wonderful. We're going to be turned into a corporation that works with everyone and we, come to an agreement with the rights holders and the industry, and we basically sell out as soon as possible. So we'll meet you halfway. We'll sell out however you want. Let's get it done. Let's negotiate. But the record industry refused. They were like, basically, fuck you. You guys are fucking our whole shit up. Fuck you to death. Like, you're you're ruined. That's our position. The record industry is like, fuck you. You're thieves and liars and stealers, and we're not going to negotiate with you. Wow, that's You're terrorists. Evil. So Lars Ulrich and Metallica become artists that speak out against this, but also you have Snoop Dogg, Eminem, a number of artists all saying, they're stealing from us, this is wrong. And Metallica shows up, Lars Ulrich shows up at Napster headquarters with printed out boxes full of usernames saying, remove these people from your service because they're stealing our music. It's like a media event. They have some lawsuits back and forth. Metallica and Dr. Dre sue them. The record industry sues them. This is happening from 2000s where the lawsuits really start. By the end of 2001, Napster is shut down. One of the things that proved key in the trial is that Sean Parker referred to Napster facilitating piracy in a private email correspondence that was found by the courts used to make the case they were lawfully facilitating mass file sharing. So in 2001, during the twilight of Napster, Apple introduces a product called the iPod that can store thousands of songs. 
but there's no iTunes store at that time. Think about it, boy. You know, the iTunes store seems normal. The iPod came first, and it was in the era of piracy. Oh, so just to put music that you ripped off CDs yourself on it or something? That's what they said, but they knew what they were doing. Not that there's anything wrong with that. In fact, I strongly support it, but it's interesting. They're one of the most profitable corporations in the world, and they got off scot-free while the people who actually made Napster were punished. And I think that's wrong, because no one should have been punished. This is one of the coolest things that's ever happened. Yeah. Music-wise. And so after Napster was shut down, a few things came up in its place at different times. There's Kazaa, LimeWire, etc. Kazaa, they didn't work with the industry at all. They used shell companies. They made millions. They put spyware on people's computers. They did all things the wrong way, and it was completely caused by shutting down Napster. Then you also have the Pirate Bay, which is kind of an archivist, social libertarian librarianship with a real fuck you attitude. Like, for example... When the Shrek 2 was on the Pirate Bay and DreamWorks asked them to take it down, they told them to go fuck themselves with a retractable baton. Real pirate shit. Oh, wow. But it's, it's, it's interesting, boy, is what I'm trying to say. Is that, you know, Napster was all squeaky clean, coming from a pure place. It's a social network. This is a social network before Facebook. Friends lists, chat rooms. Modern social media could have evolved out of Napster had it not been stopped. That's interesting. But, yeah. but what's also interesting is that the industry pushing back on Napster turned them into pirates, turned people more antagonistic, and changed the way that these libraries function. With file sharing, you know, the, the, the pirates asked nicely first, and they were brutally punished for it. So they were forced to a life of crime on the high seas. And that's the story of Napster. So they made sharing illegal and then made everything worse. Yeah. Uh, well, actually, the record industry was doing mostly fine during this period the whole time. And actually, the, I read a really compelling case that the decreases in the revenue were actually caused by a bubble that was was caused by a CD bubble, which is like follows all the principles of an economic bubble into itself, that their profits were artificially heightened at the late 90s. But overall, they outperformed the rest of the U.S. economy. Right. Yeah. So what are they complaining about? And then later, the industry ended up embracing online music sales and embracing ad-supported streaming services for music. Uh, But because they failed to do that right away, and this is a critical thing, this is a critical thing. Because they failed to do that right away, they missed the chance to ride the goodwill of the Napster revolution into a more profitable industry. They created all sorts of opposition to them through stuff like suing fans and other bullshit like that. And to this day, when it comes to streaming services, no one's enthusiastic about them. They feel kind of subtly evil in a way. Like, you feel... I feel worse about being on Spotify than I ever felt about the Pirate Bay. Because I know they're getting ripped off for sure. Yeah, right. Your $10 a month is going to Spotify and uh, pennies to your favorite artists. When we steal, we're pirates. When you steal, you're the emperor. You know, that's an apt and true point, Grandpa. Oh, well, thank you. I, I came up with it, actually. Really? Yeah, no, it's uh, one of the things I came up with when I was younger. Well, you should be remembered for that quote. I think that I was the first apt to and say true that. quote, yeah. I found it apt and true as well. Well, thank you. You're welcome, Grandpa. So yeah, there's a lot of arguments against piracy that are somewhat convincing first hearing them. And because it's so common sense, I think a lot of people, we have these ideas floating around in our head. And while we're pirating, we beat ourselves up over pirating based on 
what turn out to be faulty premises if we think about them. So there's, there's better or worse arguments against piracy, obviously, but there's some that I found convincing at first. And then as I thought about it, I realized actually this is sort of ridiculous. One of the criticisms that we've got lined up is that piracy removes or reduces the incentive to create art. Now, I think on one level, I feel like it's kind of fundamentally misunderstanding what motivates people to do things that they love. I think at best, economic incentives get people to do things that they don't love. But I think the best creative art is generally people making things that they do love. And I think that's kind of a motivation on its own. And in most cases is the bigger motivation for why people create art. And that there's a countervailing force, obviously, where nobody wants to be an artist making something you love, but also dying from lack of housing, food, or shelter at the same time. But in terms of what the fundamental incentive is to create art, I don't think it's getting paid in most instances. No, yeah, no, there's there's stuff like, um, you know, kids who are enjoying drawing. If you give them a sticker for drawing, they start getting more interested in the sticker than the drawing itself. When something becomes a job that was previously a hobby, then it takes on these new characteristics of like being a job and the money actually brings down the fun somehow because it becomes a requirement. And yeah, there's this common sense idea about what incentives are and how they work in the world that's embedded in this talking point that like we're all these like rational incentive following like mice looking for cheese and we're like ah incentive make music and become rock star become rich right and like that's what's going to make people do stuff the issue for artists isn't whether or not they have an incentive to make art because more people want to make art than actually make art the problem is that making sure that artists get enough to live at a base level to pursue their art and get the time and resources they need to pursue their art but the reason they don't use that is a anti-piracy talking point is because the current system fails so fundamentally at that, that drawing attention to it would be against their interests. That artists don't have the opportunity to do art, that most people who would do art aren't doing art. Right. And it's not because they don't have an incentive, it's because they're crushed by life. Yeah. If we want to get into the nitty gritty of what's causing artists to not be able to actualize their incentive, uh, there's a lot of deeper structural issues related to capitalism and how we value people's time and different people's contributions to society in sort of more deeper structural way that, yeah, if you really want to talk about what's reducing the incentives to create art and kind of getting in the way of that process, uh, it's not fans of the art who aren't paying for it. Yeah, we as sort of consumers in the global capitalist system right now, we have X amount of money to spend. And part of the way the system makes its decisions is by where money is spent. And so we get to consider and think about what we want to contribute to as active participants in culture. And piracy gives us that freedom to really meaningfully make that choice and to disincentivize creating content, things that are about sort of like tricking people into buying things that they won't actually like. Like you can't get away with making a really shitty album with one good song anymore. You have to actually try to make the whole album worthwhile. Right. It lines up the incentives pretty well in that way. Yeah. And the artists themselves, letting artists access art actually incentivizes them to create art in part because they're inspired, but also because for every dollar they don't spend buying CDs or they don't spend subscribing to dozens of streaming services with one show each that they're interested in watching, 
every dollar they save on that, they can either reduce their work hours to focus on their art, or they can use it to finance aspects of the art. So there's an argument that the opposite, that piracy is one of the greatest contributors in the world to the incentive to create art, as people strive for greatness within the cultural renaissance of access to information. Yeah, I know. I was particularly inspired to create art. Yeah, a good amount because of art that I pirated. Oh, me too. Yeah. And, and wouldn't have been able to afford paying for it. So yeah, no, I think it does incentivize the creation of art in a very real direct way. I heard an artist say this. I can't remember which artist, but there was someone concerned about piracy reasonable enough as an artist if you feel that your chances of financial success are being hindered by something and you speak out about it. I don't mean to stigmatize that too much, but he said that he was worried that piracy lowers the value of art and that art is something that he really values and open access, zero marginal cost access to his music sets the value point too low. Yeah, and I think yeah. my first reaction was like, oh, poor guy. Like, I get what you're saying. I love art too. Art is really valuable. It caught me on the hook of the superficial. He, right. he pulled the trick of words. Yeah, I think that. I think he believed it, but he, he was fooling himself. I think there's a bigger problem. It's, there's like this economic language that people sometimes tend to talk in in our society where we have the same word for an economic term that we have for a non-economic term. And the term value is the, a key example of that because, there, I mean, you can argue that piracy actually often increases the market value of the thing being pirated and that the more pirated something is, the more money it tends to make at the same time. But even if you just take for granted that piracy reduces market value, it's not at all true that piracy reduces inherent value or the value to the people pirating it. Uh, I think yeah, like the subjective kind of, social value. Yeah, it's quite the opposite. And like, yeah, when I hear like, oh, artists work isn't being valued, the emotional punch that has for me is mostly about that personal value that you get from art. Whereas I feel like even the partial truth that there is to the statement is more about the economic value thing. It's not even more of a partial truth. It's just more of an understandable misconception that is maybe true in some small circumstances, but not most. Um, because I think for the most part, piracy and market value mutually support one another. No, totally. I mean, the if... The word of mouth and audience capture that piracy gives people access to who make really high quality, interesting novel stuff that a lot of people are interested in. If you put it in advertising dollars, what Game of Thrones got from the Pirate Bay, then HBO would owe the Pirate Bay a lot of money. So if we want to look through this like economic lens, think about different types of value than there's potentially a lot of value traveling in both directions through internet piracy. And it, in that sense, increasing the value of art. And I mean, I think as an artist, having the social capital, having the conversations about the work and the reactions to the work and having influence and, and being considered part of the cultural conversation is one of the big actual incentives that underlies people's attempts to make great works. And Piracy encourages that, not discourages it. So it increases the value of art in the advertising economic sense. It increases the value of the subjective value of art by giving people a richer context with which to evaluate things. 
and it increases the subjective value of new art by creating the preconditions for even greater works to be produced in an information dense renaissance. Right. So yeah, literally increasing like the quality of art adds value as well. So in that sense, piracy across all metrics is, in is increasing the value of art, but it is true that it can help lower prices. And that's great because with prices rising day after day, consumers are tired of high prices. <laughs> I'm not like moralistic about it, but you got to admit that's people like that. That's if no. Yeah. Yeah. When you think about it from a consumer perspective, like does making tables and chairs cheaper reduce the value of tables and chairs? Well, like kind of, but like people don't think of it that way. They're like, oh, this is less valuable to me now as my dinner table because it, we've had some new innovation and make cheaper dinner tables. It's like, no, it's like, it's just as valuable. It just cost me less. You know, everyone, Tom, Dick and Harry around the block are all pirating stuff, getting access to things through password sharing and stuff like that. They're saying it brings them value. And in my opinion, 50,000 Elvis fans can't be wrong. Oh, yeah. And now, yeah, thinking about how all these people are pirating and can they all be wrong just reminds me of another criticism I hear. It feels like kind of like a grandpa criticism or like a, I guess the first one, removing incentive also is kind of a grandpa critic, but this one most of all. It's the incentive <laughs> is kind of like a technocrat marketeer uncle. uncle. Yeah. <laughs> but this is more like a social conservative traditionalist, maybe use the military on domestic protesters type grandpa criticism. Piracy erodes moral values and creates a culture of entitlement. Are all these greedy art consumers who are just, often artists just grasping? away with their greedy little hands <laughs> feeling entitled to everything kicking and screaming that they can't get everything for free yeah culture of entitlement it's so interesting entitlement is one of those common sense sort of like politics words that's just like it's this really like resentful accusation to call someone entitled is like yeah it, it, it's like it's, it's an attack on moral character but it's like obviously we should feel entitled to clean breathable air drinking water right. and then but as soon as you start getting outside the one by one square box with a hard bed and enough drinking water and gruel then all of a sudden it's like oh you you're just <laughs> entitled oh you're gonna starve to death if you don't listen to the newest music you're gonna die in the street if you don't listen to the newest music you know what the thing about you is that you have a deep moral flaw <laughs> that you feel like you should get everything I Even should get everything, others in the but process. I just, me, I should get everything, but I deserve it. I'm yeah. It has I've nothing to do money, with when I was born in history. Yeah, no, or to who I was born, how much my parents had. It's uh, you know nothing to do with it. Yeah, there's two ways that we can talk about. This is a really abstract. the The issue with here isn't the connection to piracy. The issue with here is like these fundamental ideas about what constitute moral values and. Like in politics, different groups make demands or requests. Public sentiment pushes political conversation and opinion in different directions. And all political action is rooted in some sense of entitlement, like the entitlement to like a safe abortion, the entitlement to not have your property taken from you, the entitlement to... So like entitlement is just like a negative word for something that you want. Or that you advocate for. Yeah, it feels like a word used to stigmatize the fact that we 
rely on one another in society to get things done and to oh yeah like independence too is another like you're making uh <laughs> right yeah like you're de- you're you're becoming dependent dependent and entitled <laughs> <laughs> but like it's it's always like kind of a hypocritical accusation first of all because the people who hurl it are usually the people who feel the most entitled to all the things they could ever wish for and and more and yeah, actually and have to access to it in the current system and if that was spread around more equally they would be the first people complaining about having things taken away from them even though they have far more than everyone else so just if you think about like who feels entitled to what and like what group of people feel the most entitled to things or who has the biggest culture of entitlement if entitlement is just a negative feeling of deserving too much compared to others, to say that poor people have a culture of entitlement is using the term completely backwards. Yeah, there's two ways you can go, but you can either be like, no, I'm not entitled. Like, I'm not this scary word that you use for when people want things or think things are right. You know, like, oh, you think it's, you think it's right that people... You're entitled to human rights. You're entitled to clean, safe working conditions. You're entitled to a minimum amount of wage. It's ironic you feel entitled to a vote when technically you could be kept on life support and still be alive in a small room eating <laughs> gruel. And yeah, if we're just talking about what's necessary quote, unquote, to survive. Needs will be met if you're yeah. so concerned about needs and not desires. You know, as we said before, desire and need are intertwined and they come first for desire and then for need. So be careful of the fascists and the technocrats. That is begging the question to say that needs are only need for bare survival when obviously that's we hope for more for humanity than just bare survival, but a good life for all people. So if we what do you need for a good life for all people? I feel like that's a much better starting point for talking about what people need. And now it's time for Nailed It or Not, where we read you quotes from famous people and then adjudicate whether or not they nailed it. Our first quote today on Nailed It or Not comes from Jeff Tweedy of the band Wilco, who said this about piracy. I look at it as a library. I look at it as our version of the radio. Ooh, this is an interesting one, and I think I'm going to have to rate it as Nailed Nailed It. it. Nailed It, Jeff Tweedy from Wilco. Yeah, those are two really rich metaphors to think about internet piracy through a different lens. The access and exposure that the library gives to musical artists, and the openness and self-directedness of the public library. And I know he's not the only one to make those comparisons, but in this case, he certainly did nail it. Yeah, I mean, I know that when I was a kid, I didn't listen to the radio very much but I did browse music using piracy to kind of sample around and see what I liked. It reminds me of a Tom York quote. He said, The reason people pirate is because they want access to good music, and they don't get it because the radio is so shit. Now that one is another easy nailed it Nailed it. Nailed it, Tom York. Lady Gaga told the Sunday Times in 2010, that she doesn't mind about people downloading her music for free because you know how much you can earn off touring, right? Make music, then tour. It's just the way it is today. I'm gonna give this an almost nailed it. Yeah, partially nailed it. Then nailed something. I don't know if it was quite it, but it's definitely not, didn't it's nail not nothing. It's not it to me, but I do appreciate the support for piracy. I think what she said applies really, really well to really big artists who can easily 
make a lot of money off touring, but artists should also be able to be paid for their work regardless of whether they're going around performing it regularly. But the slew of Gene here, the real genius, is that as artists, we need to adapt to the circumstances we're in to develop models that work for us. These large-scale tours work for Lady Gaga. A smaller artist might find another model that works for them. Yep. Trent Reznor said on the high prices of CDs in Australia, he said, has anyone seen the price come down in Australia? No? Okay, well, you know what that means. Steal it. Steal away. Steal and steal and steal some more and give it to all your friends and keep on stealing. He's talking about his own music here. Because one way or another, these motherfuckers will get it through their head that they're ripping people off and that's not right. Uh, He said that his label was mad at him because he yelled at them about the high price of CDs in Australia. And then he told his fans to, in his words, quote, steal it, steal and steal some more, which I'm going to have to give. I'm tempted to give a full nail it. Yeah, um, but I mean, one small thing, I don't know asterisk. if it's technically stealing yeah, to pirate it. It's not really it, theft, Trent, but like other than that. You could have that. just said pirated, pirated, pirated some more. But yeah, I mean, in terms of like... You have the message like, box down on... <laughs> but it's pretty close. I feel like we can round it up to a nail that... In the voice of an artist, like an established artist, is actually wonderful. Yeah, and in terms of music that you could pirate, pirating Trent Reznor's music is up there with the most moral music to pirate because he's one of the most popular artists of all time. He's got plenty of money. He's made a ton of money. The companies have made a ton of money. Yeah, and there, there, again, there's something genius here in that piracy and bootlegging, no matter where it fits on the archival versus for-profit spectrum, it is always a counterpower to the overbearing and dominant powers of the industry. It is always a counterpower that keeps them accountable, gives consumers tools to hold major labels, large-scale companies accountable for their high prices and the way that they're being ripped off, and challenge them to set prices that are more accessible. It's a political tactic, in a sense, and Trent Reznor recognizes that, and that's why I'm going to give him a full nail that despite the asterisks. Shakira said in 2009 that I like what's going on with file sharing because I feel closer to the fans and people who appreciate the music. It's the democratization of music in a way, and music is a gift, and that's what it should be, a gift. I have to say, I think absolutely nailed it. Yeah, I'm giving you nailed it, especially the democratization. I think that's a novel and interesting and actually quite complex and rich, if you think about it, framework for the intersections between piracy and democracy. I think that's some really high-level shit out of Shakira here. I'm going to give a nail that... The only bad thing I could see reading into this is saying, like, someone's like, oh, you think music should be a gift and no one else's labor should be a gift? But I think a good faith reading, that's not what she's saying. Uh, She's saying that there's an inherent value to art, that it's good to share it and pass it along. And I don't want to sleep on the first part of that quote either, talking about the closeness that she feels with her fans and people who appreciate the music is one of the most important aspects that makes piracy a good thing because artists, I speak for myself and I think probably most artists, want their work to be seen and appreciated. Right. So that feeling of connection between you and someone who's enjoying your art that piracy brings to people, I think is an important aspect of it. So, you know, I'm gonna say nailed it on that. Nailed it. Dr. Dre said, it's theft, pure and simple, and I will fight Napster to the death. Oh, I think this might be our first non-nailed it. Uh, I didn't nail it. Didn't quite. I'm sympathetic in a broad sense to the feeling of 
wanting to sell something and you find people aren't paying for it and even though you're already really rich, that upsets you. And I get where that comes from. But it's never acceptable to kill someone. I mean, just to get right down to it, I don't think it's theft, pure and simple. Pure and simple, it's not theft. Yeah, if um, I have to get down to pure and simple, it's not theft. And I don't think Napster is the enemy of artists getting the just compensation they deserve. Well, yeah, also uh, compared to a lot of other peer-to-peer sharing, Napster was one of the most above-board peer-to-peer services ever that tried directly to work with the industry. Didn't nail it. Yeah, just didn't nail it. Uh, Pink Floyd's Nick Mason said that file sharing means a new generation of fans for us. It's a great thing to have another generation discovering your music and thinking you're rather good. File sharing plays a part in that because that generation don't do it any other way. Nailed it. Nailed it. Yeah, I don't know if there's more to say other than just nailed it. Henry Rowland said, I'd rather be heard than paid. And if you can't afford to listen to my music and you got to get it off the internet, at least you're rocking. Yeah, that's so true. You are rocking. Capital N nailed it for me. Yeah, At least you're rocking is the perfect sentiment when you find out that someone is giving you time and attention for your creative labor through a non-approved channel. That's what I always think when people listen to Seriously Wrong through non-approved channels. At least you're rocking. Yeah, yeah. Listening your, to the your wrong Your friend boys. has a subscription. They're like, oh, this piracy episode's really good. So they shared it with you. Maybe you pass it on to a few other people. Maybe thousands of people are listening to this episode who never paid for it. At least you're rocking. At least they're rocking. Here's an interesting one. For the last few years, parents and children have been given a pass to do something they knew in their hearts was wrong. It's uh, Jimmy Iovine. And at the time that he said that, he was the chairman of Universal's Interscope. Now, Universal Interscope is a rights holder for a lot of music that I love. Right. So got to give a hat tip to Jimmy on that. But asterisk. In terms of the statement itself, I'm going to say did not nail it. Because when I talk to most people who pirate, what they feel in their heart is not uh, that it's wrong and i also don't think people have been given a pass there's been a lot of attacks on piracy yeah i think actually downloaders uh, what's usually called internet pirates are some of the most harassed and maligned innocent people in the world true Um, yeah (laughs) you know the recording industry association of america sued thousands of file shares in the early 2000s settling for an average about four thousand per person including a child who had listened to the Different Strokes theme song when she was 12, and a 71-year-old man named Mr. Pickle, whose grandchildren had used it. So I don't think that they've been given a free pass at all, Jimmy. And uh, if they do feel in their heart that it's wrong, I'd like to correct them, because I think it's actually kind of an angelic behavior that's part of an enlightened society, and I'm happy to talk about that with any of them. If you can send them our way, Jimmy, didn't nail it. Didn't nail it. Gene Simmons of the band KISS said, Rock is finally dead, and I'm so sad that the next 15-year-old kid in a garage someplace who plugs in his Marshall will not have anywhere near the same opportunity that I did. He will most likely, no matter what he does, fail miserably. But the death of Rock was not a natural death. Rock did not die of old age. It was murdered. And the real culprit is that kid's 15-year-old next-door neighbor, probably a friend of his, maybe even one of the bandmates he's jamming with. The tragedy of it is that they seem to have no idea they just killed their own opportunity. They killed the artists they would have loved. It's uh, Gene Simmons of Kiss. It was a bit longer. I know it's a long quote, but it was actually even longer than that, so there are some parentheses. That was a bit shortened. It's not 
Exactly. He was just, he was really talking for yeah, a while. He, he had a lot to say. <laughs> and despite having said so much, I don't think he nailed it myself. I'm going to have to rate this one. Oof, I not nailed it. Yeah, no, there seems to be a if this, then that kind of fundamental logic problem working all the way through it. Maybe he's trying to be poetic, but rock is finally dead. Oh yeah, just not true. There's lots of new rock music that came out this year, this month even. Right, yeah. No, it's still very profitable to be making rock and roll music. Yeah, so it's just, yeah, it's, <laughs> technically it's not dead. Well, if I were to buy a Kiss record when I was in my garage as a 15-year-old, that would have no bearing whatsoever on my success. I could buy all the music I ever listened to in the world and would have literally no bearing on my success as a musician. Yeah, other um, than maybe the inspiration you would get from listening to it all, but... Yeah, yeah which can be done affordably and easily through piracy. Piracy, right. I think also just in general, people are a lot more likely to buy a rock album from their next-door neighbor than just a random person. So chances are actually he's probably not his 15-year-old next-door neighbor who's killing his opportunity. It's probably a, a copyright cartel intellectual property system, a distribution network that protects itself and keeps out the vast majority of artists in order right. to enrich a small minority of artists that they can exploit to the highest degree possible. I'd say that is a bigger issue for future artists. but. Kiss was part of this kind of like weird one rare generation in history where there was a bunch of rock stars that became millionaires and were able to like own their own recordings and stuff. Right. Yeah, that's what I was going to say when he's saying this hypothetical kid won't have the same opportunity he did. It's like that part's true, but it's not because of piracy. Like yeah, the, this is a really boomery formulation here. And like yes, he, he had absolutely. all this advantages and he was part of this booming economy of rock and roll music. And then he looks around at that not happening and he's like, oh, what are the, ki the kids these days doing wrong? How come they, they're not able to buy a house when they're flipping burgers for a summer like I did? They're downloading too much music. They're downloading too much music these days. Yeah, so sorry, Gene Simmons, you did not nail it. Ugh, and that's two not nailed it's in a row. It's oh, a please I pray that whatever comes next. And I would just want to give a quick not nailed it to myself for using Boomer as a pejorative. I'm sorry to the, to the, the age group the Boomers who I, I'm not. have many wonderful people. Yeah. Uh, there's a sentiment that I saw reflected in two different quotes john perry barlow of the grateful dead said that the band having a pro taping policy pro sharing tapes policy was one of the most enlightened practical and smart things that anybody ever did that pro taping policy was referred to as letting the fans do some of the work which reminded me of something that will i am said which is i don't consider them pirates i consider them promoters and they mm. promote my work right, and right, right. this is a paraphrase i don't have it in front of me but basically they're able to promote it to people that i wouldn't otherwise be able to reach i'm gonna have to give that a nailed it nailed it to those two yeah, wise they, voices this is just like nailing it all over the place and maybe it's because it's two quotes that it's nailing it so hard like they both form a quick succession a of nailing deep idea through their yeah exactly and one final quote here for your consideration nailed it or not Fred Durst of Limp Biscuit oh. once said, There are millions of people saying that piracy is not a good thing. Everyone in the music industry, everyone whose paychecks depend on doing anything but the internet. I haven't heard one thing from a fan that was negative. And as long as that doesn't happen, I'm good to go. When the fans start complaining, then I'll start worrying. I think Fred Durst listening to the fans and not to the music industry suits on this issue is correct. Yeah, that's a nailed it. He nailed it. Yeah, there's something really profound about that one to me, just in that, like, 
it's oriented on the right people. And like the music is about this relationship between the creators and the people who participate in that. And like art right, is like this, Shakira said, yeah, it's, it's, it's the richness of life. We're talking about something that is the richness of life. That is the beauty of the world, the things that bring joy to people's lives and the culture that we participate in. And if fans were coming up to you as Fred Durst and being like, this piracy thing's really screwing me over, Fred. Like, you got to do something about this. Yeah, then Fred Durst would care. And that's, that's so right of Fred. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I agree. Fred nailed it. What a great way to end the segment. So this has been Nailed It or Not, Music Piracy Edition. We now go to copyrighted characters making an important public service announcement on internet piracy. Company's real copyrighted Mickey. And I'm DC Comics and Warner Brothers Batman. Hello, everyone. Real live Disney's Mickey. It's an honor to meet you. Wow, the real Batman from the movie. Ho <laughs> ho. One and the same. I'm the Mickey from the merchandise. Ho <laughs> ho. We're here today to talk about a very serious issue: internet piracy. That's right, Disney's Mickey. Today we're here to share our personal views. I, for one, am a huge piracy fan. What about you, Mickey? Oh, absolutely. I'm not just a passive participant. I'm an active advocate. Classic copyright trademark Disney's Mickey right there. I run three seed boxes at home. You use a VPN with those seed boxes? <laughs> I sure don't. Come and get me, cops. Wow, Mickey, you're such a badass. I like to fly by cover of night, so I use a VPN. And only private torrent trackers, invite only. If you search around on Reddit and other communities, you'll be able to find your ways in. Piracy is a way of preserving and sharing our culture, ho ho. And it's also a means for us consumers to leverage a counterpower against tyrannical monopolies, ho ho. Or even protest against the production choices of companies that are losing their way. It's a type of vigilante justice from the companies that want to hold wonderful characters like you and me ransom. Free the hostages. It's the Batman way. Well, it happens to be my personal view as the real Mickey Mouse that rampant internet piracy is a great way to bring families together. Well, Paramount Pictures Optimus Prime and DreamWorks Pictures Shrek told me the same thing last week. But I do have one more piece of advice for people out there thinking about getting into torrents. Make sure you learn how to vet the torrent websites and the individual torrents before you download. Read the comments. Learn about the reputations of various sources. A copyrighted Disney movie will never come as an EXE. <laughs> That's right, and if you are downloading software, it's doubly important to vet your sources and to have up-to-date antivirus software. Another tip for beginners is that when you get to the page that has all the different download links, some of which are paid ads and some of which are actual download links, if you're on an unfamiliar site, the magnet link is usually a safe bet. Oh and don't forget to seed your torrents. Thank you. Hey Mickey, do you want to get on the shark from Jaws and ride it on out of here? Oh, I'd love to. What's his personal sentiments on the ethics of internet piracy? 
Shark, growl if you love piracy. <laughs> Thought so. Thanks, everybody. Bye. Bye. And that was Copyrighted Characters' Personal Sentiments on Piracy, a public service announcement. And now back to our show. Our matey. Hey. Yo ho ho. Hey. Yo ho Another day out on the seas. Yep. Saving up. Being pirates uh, in the past. Secret project. Yeah. Current, present, but past, past from us because yeah. we're time travelers. Exactly. Stacking doubloons. When we get the money and start our daycare, it's going to take off, I have no doubt. It's been in going great. Way. I learned a lot about sailing. It's great. You got a great tan, too. I think you are a radiant Thank you. orange, but. Not like um, an artificial orange, I want to emphasize. Yeah, why would it be artificial? We're on a pirate ship every it's, day. But um, We need to relax, I think. We've been going pretty hard. We should go take the little boat away from the big boat up to the shore, and then go on that seaside tavern, and just us time travelers just yeah, have, have a bit of AL. and private chats. Private just, pirate chats. Oh, just hop in the boat here and uh, start rowing. Maybe do you want to... Uh, go over some of our knowledge of the history of the eras of music piracy together oh yes no this, i find that, that would be so relaxing. interesting yeah yeah because you know i was thinking about that there's no internet piracy here obviously during the golden age of yar har har yo ho ho black right. flag yeah, there's piracy. No internet yet. exactly we don't have a lot in common across these eras except for our relationship to authorities yeah and not only is there no internet piracy there's not even really any copyright laws or you know currently in the current day people don't really think about music in that way it's something the person has this right to control that no one else could perform or use or yeah no i mean music throughout history has usually been something that was shared replicated built upon collectively owned there wasn't this idea of like sitting down and writing a song that comes from nowhere that completely belongs to you. This is something that developed over generations and generations. Right, yeah, we're still like over 100 years out from the first U.S. copyright lawsuit. It's uh, Reed versus Carusi, right? Yeah, in 1845, it's kind of it's instructive to the general principle of like how music remixes and how much culture is recycled and churning and like you don't have that individual singular artist producing things that they fully own and create because reed versus carusi samuel carusi was ordered to pay 200 dollars because he made a cover of a poem that was determined to be too similar to another cover of a poem right like they took a poem made a song someone else's poem they both made songs out of and then the guy who made the song out of the poem first said the second one sounds too much like him Part of his defense was interesting. He said that he thought that the other guy's song was built on two other songs, The Bluebells of Scotland and The Soldier's Tear, where his song was actually built on a song called New England. He provided the evidence that they were remixing from different sources. Right. Uh, right but in right. the end, he lost the lawsuit and was ordered to pay $100 to Reed and $100 to the government. But that was eventually pardoned by the president right well a hundred dollars back then is a lot of money i'm glad he got pardoned for that but oh yeah do you want to we'll just park our rowboat right here and then we'll walk over into the pirate bar oh yeah rickety staircases i knew being a pirate was dangerous but they need to fix this thing 
Someone could lose an eye. It, no more dangerous than that robo with the little holes in it and stuff. It's uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> That wouldn't be up to code in our time, but today it's just... Earlier, I tried to stick a cork into that little hole, but then water came through the hole and pushed the cork up in the air, spraying like a little oh, fountain, and the cool. cork was sort of dancing on the top of it. Kind of like a cartoonish Yeah, moment. I just put the cork in because it better safe than sorry. I find it works best if you put a foot over the cork to hold it down. Oh, that's a good point. All right, yeah, there's the tavern. Get in, get some drinks. So Reed versus Carusi, right? That's 1845. And then by the time we hit the late 1800s and the early 1900s, there's this increasing trend of sheet music piracy. It's one of the first real waves of music piracy. And it's being driven by technological development in the same way that internet piracy was driven by technological development because in the late 1800s you have what's called photolithography being developed which is basically a way for people to photocopy things easily reproduce what's on a page so that you don't have to you know copy sheet music out by hand anymore so that makes creating sheet music much much cheaper the publishers were seen as like greedy rip-off artists taking advantage of the little people a lot like you know the record industries of napster's day right yeah there was a phenomenon at the time called piano mania where <laughs> yeah, piano mania mi- middle class and lower income people were buying pianos which was at the time thought it was a very respectable piece of furniture to have uh, but they were able to buy a lot of cheap sheet music from bootleggers who would sell it for less than the official sources Uh, In 1902, in England, a publisher, David Day, hired a detective agency to do illegal raids on sheet music sellers to seize their materials without the legal authority to do so. Um, Jeez. This is kind of like, they talked about in the Seriously Wrong Winnipeg General Strike episode, there were these like industrialists who cracked down on the strike outside of the state. Right, Uh, right. It's kind of like that, where the publisher took it into his own hands. They seized a bunch of stuff. They lobbied to get the laws changed. It turned out to be really hard to enforce and practice. So yeah, it was a big legal kerfuffle over whether or not they could seize these documents, where they could be held, whether they could be destroyed or not. It went back and forth with Parliament in the UK. But it was this sheet music fight was like the first archetypical music piracy fight. Right, Um, right. And then, yeah, by 1903, it was kind of wrapped up. According to pro-industry trade journal Music Opinion, there was a revolution in sheet music as the producers of expensive sheet music ceded to pirates and public by massively cutting the cost of buying music for the mass market. Yeah, and that's a trend throughout all the, the history, the developmental history of these piracy fights, as the pirates use some technology to challenge the monopolization and unfair practices of industry. They create a counterpower which causes the industry to then capitulate to the users. The next kind of like era of piracy is in the late 1940s it starts, but in the 1950s especially, there was this large movement to bootleg jazz records that were out of print. So out of print opera records and jazz records were really wanted by collectors. And the RIAA, the Recording Industry Association of America, the thing that led the lawsuits against Napster and stuff like that later, was formed in the early 1950s as a response to this bootlegging of records. Yeah, actually, it was, at the time it was called disclegging. The bootleg, it's funny. Like, oh, you're disclegging our discs. You're guess, making yeah, copies of our records. bootlegging come from making boots? fake boots? Yeah, I don't know. It's weird. And it was actually, it's funny thinking about how much money Apple made off Napster and iPods. 
1951, the industry things were doing the same thing. RCA was actually providing record pressing services to a bootlegging outfit called the Jolly Roger. Yeah, Jolly Roger is interesting. They use the name Jolly Roger. There's actually also pirate records in Sweden. They were using the sort of pirate imagery, like the romanticized pirate in- imagery. So RCA provides these like pressing services to third parties. One of them, Jolly Roger, uses it to print their own records. And when that broke in the media, the pirates were making them bootleg from themselves. They sued Jolly Roger's parent company. But to fans and collectors, they were really providing a service. Like, this is archival work. I've got an old rare pressing of the Jolly Roger, Jelly Roll Morton, one of the inventors of jazz. You know, it's a little scratchy, but it's just, it's got a beautiful sound. You know, it's something you wouldn't be able to otherwise get if it weren't for the bootleggers. Right, yeah, if you think about that, a lot of music might not have made it past the 1950s without these bootlegging operations. That's right, you know, historians of libraries say that the largest thing that causes the loss of books over time isn't actually high-profile things like the Library of Alexandria being burned down. It's things on depreciating mediums that are failed to be copied. So pirates are doing a real great public service there. And in this case, in the era of bootlegs in the 1950s, they helped move the needle to get the big record companies to do more pressings of -of out-of-print rare jazz and opera records for the collectors, at least for a time. Again, piracy uh, serves this great social purpose. And And it's for-profit bootlegging, by the way, which many turn their nose down at. Yeah, and if you move into the late 1960s and the early 1970s, bootlegs are kind of everywhere. Like, they're being sold in public record stores, selling, like, unreleased leaked materials, live materials, all kinds of stuff from all sorts of artists, including popular artists. Yeah, this is like a second wave of vinyl bootlegs. Time magazine noted in 1971 that every single city has a record store, gas stations, and supermarkets with selections of bootleg tapes and records, which are usually packaged in unadorned boxes and albums with plain white covers. This is really being buoyed by the kind of countercultural movement of the late 60s and early 70s. There's utopian socialism, communism, the language of the new left is being applied to bootlegging as an anti-corporate way of sharing music. And one of the prominent examples of this is Rubber Dubber, which is an outfit that recorded live shows and even sent review copies to magazines of their live show recordings, causing record labels to threaten to withdraw advertising dollars from any magazine that covered the bootlegs. One of the bootleggers, Rubber Dubber, told Rolling Stone that profits from these bootleg albums are more equally distributed to employees than are major company profits, which are often funneled up to parent conglomerates. So similar to the pirates that we're surrounded by now, back in the golden age of seafaring piracy, these countercultural vinyl pirates had a utopian rhetoric to describe what they were doing. And then throughout the 1970s, the U.S. passes a series of copyright changes that make bootlegging illegal and much harder to do. Because, yeah, one thing that changes in the 1970s is that, you know, since its foundation in the 1950s, the RIAA had drawn a distinction between commercial piracy, like bootlegging, and home taping, saying that they thought, you know, home taping is legitimate. If you tape something off the radio, it's fine. But, in yeah, in the 1970s, they changed their tune on that, and now they're saying that home taping is killing music. And then you have Alan Greenspan, who's an industry economist at the time, who's claiming that home taping actually cost the record industry $1 billion based on their assumption that 40% of home tapings were actually lost sales. And $1 billion, that's actually more 
money than the entire recording industry was worth at the time. So just completely ridiculous statistic. But the fact is, I mean, like Napster and like the Pirate Bay later, people who were doing home taping, taping from the radio, taping from their friend's vinyl, they bought more music, they appreciated music more, and if anything, in all likelihood, they were boosting the sales of music. In the late 70s, during this home taping era is a time when the music industry is massively expanding profits year after year. So in the 70s, the US Congress passes a law which protects the copyright of audio for the first time. Up until this point, audio could only be copyrighted if it was in a visual form like sheet music. There was this technical loophole that allowed mass production of things like Bob Dylan live CDs and stuff. And it officially ended in the 1970s. But Congress protected the right to home taping at the time, based on this idea of the home is this sacred place, this inviolable place that the law couldn't reach into. That's kind of the mythology of home taping. So yeah, it's really worth emphasizing that up until this period, music piracy specifically refers to bootlegging, manufacturing, distributing music for profit. But in the 1980s is when these companies start going after quote-unquote home piracy, the idea that people copying things, taping things in their own home is a violation of copyright law. And they actually, they took a lawsuit against VCR manufacturers to the Supreme Court saying that they should be held liable for the fact that people were using VCRs to tape things at home. They lost that case in the Supreme Court. But this logic of holding users at home accountable for copying copyrighted material uh, is what eventually carries forward into the internet piracy era where not just the distributors of pirated work are being targeted, but people who are just downloading music or looking at copyrighted material. So yeah, and this Supreme Court case over VCRs, the ruling was that because VCRs have a legitimate use, it's not being sold for the purposes of illegally making copies of tapes in order to sell and distribute them, which is one of the things you can do with them, they wouldn't be held liable for it. So that's the legal precedent that holds up why Apple isn't responsible for people using pirated materials on their iPod because, quote unquote, they just want people to rip their CDs that they legally bought. Right. Um, and that's also key to what takes down Napster because Sean Parker in a private email says that they're facilitating piracy. That'd be like an RCA executive defending their right to manufacture VCRs in a private email saying like, yeah, sure, VCRs are for making copies of Hollywood movies and selling them on the street, but they're also connecting people. Right. So yeah, that's that's basically it. I mean, that's the musical trajectory of, of piracy. It starts with bootlegging and then extends to the home and personal use over time and then culminates in Napster, the pirate bay in the modern era. Uh, sorry, modern era where we're from, not uh, pirate times. Where we are. Yeah, none of this has happened yet in the timeline that we're in, in the golden age of piracy, saving up for our pirate daycare. But this you, is all the future, but it's the past to us in the present where we're from. So you have sheet music, you have bootleg records, I mean, you even have some bootleg cylinders before that. You have the record bootleg era, which then turns into the counterculture bootleg record era, the home taping era, and then finally the Napster era and the golden age of internet piracy feels good to go over that with a friend yeah it's nice it's relaxing just like i thought it would be it's great having these beer drinks with you here at the pirate bar or i mean it's not only pirates but there's a lot of pirates here. there's pirates yeah yeah it's no. quite a few looking back and forth it, i i don't think it's inaccurate to call this a pirate bar it's yeah, a no, bit of a stereotype not. but it's still yeah i don't think that person's a pirate but they're pirate friendly for sure you'd have to be to be here look around yeah it's true 
Great point. You ever notice that people in pirate times always sleep by saying like honk me 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 while a single feather floats above their mouth? Yeah, I was wondering if that was a legitimate difference in the present that we're from. Maybe people do that as well, but you just don't usually see people sleeping in public as much. And we're not all on a pirate ship. Yeah. No, I thought of it as a cartoon thing, and then you see it, and you're like, oh, that's where the cartoon comes from. Right. People actually used to do that. Yeah. All right. Next up (laughs) on the list of objections to piracy. This is a big one. This is the one we've all been waiting for. Yeah, this is... (laughs) time this is like say the line bart roll up our sleeves but wrong boys don't artists deserve to get paid how will the artists get paid if you let people share files on the internet people won't get paid who's gonna get paid nobody's how do you get paid if you don't use repressive drm to prevent them from sharing compromising your users rights or surveil the internet to make sure that you know what everyone's sharing at all times so you Use copyrights as a way to spy on the general population. If you don't do one of those things, artists won't get paid. Wrong, boys? Oh, sorry. I know no one thinks that. Yeah. Well, first of all, I just want to say that I do agree that artists deserve to get paid. Yeah. And I mean, just to be more accurate, it's not that artists deserve to get paid. It's that human beings deserve to have their needs met and be part of a supportive society that meets all of their needs and gives them the opportunity to develop themselves. In a fully just society, yeah, people would have access to everything they need for a good life all the time, and then they would be free to create art or not based on how much they wanted to at the time. Yeah, some political solutions are based on the provisioning of wages, income, getting paid as it were, but other political solutions might involve no transfer of money at all. And I'd be very comfortable with many systems that don't involve a transfer of money for artists that ensure they have their needs met and the ability to make art. But I'm cool with artists getting paid. In fact, I enjoy it a lot. Yeah. So, yeah. And then if we want to talk about a society in which artists get paid, I think we have to think about, okay, let's look at the group of all artists and all people who want to be artists. And how do we as a society divide a way to make sure that all of those people get paid accordingly? If we're going with paid and it's not just provided to everyone, how do we make sure all artists are paid fairly? It's a complex question like because the way it works under our system is like someone needs you to build a deck, so then you build a deck for them and you get paid by them for the deck. But if you just love making decks and you like make decks and then try to sell them, you have no entitlement to get paid. If someone buys your deck, then you get paid. But just because you made a deck doesn't mean that you have a right to get paid. But it's a very, uh, I say this to someone who supports artists getting paid in general, but that's a very broad statement. Like art, artists are just going to get paid anytime they make anything that even no one likes, that they didn't even care about. There's lots of different questions and sub-questions in how do artists get paid? That's the reason that they use it against the piracy advocates is because answering the question how artists get paid is like a fundamental question about what your society should be shaped like. How artists should be treated is a big question if you care about the arts. Yeah, I think people who have more than enough money for everything in their life will naturally support a wide variety of artists with that money. Like generally, I think most people when they can afford it, enjoy doing things like going to concerts or like 
buying band merch, donating money to bands for albums that you could download for free. Staying sub to all the streaming services at once. Subscribing monthly to 30, 40, 100 Patreons. At the highest tiers. Many people would love to do that, but they aren't paid enough in their other jobs. So I've, I feel like, yeah, if we're thinking about economic incentive-wise, a big way that we could let artists get paid more would be to pay all working class people more so that more people have expendable money to spend on artists, to support artists in their life, and to support your art with doing part-time work because you're being paid so much that you can have extra time to do art. Mm-hmm. Part of the way you could do that too is, you know, stuff like more grants for people who are doing art is put more money in artists' pockets, which they'll invariably spend on more art because they're art enthusiasts. Yeah. I mean, you could even, you could pay people to buy more art. Like it could be a tax write-off to pay artists to create art. Right. The Canadian family's internet patronage benefit. They'll refund 50% on you signing up to support independent artists that are sole proprietors or partnerships. Right, right, right. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Give you a tax write-off for your, like, furry art subscription. Yeah, hell yeah. Especially if it's a Canadian. Here, we got to write this down. We're going to send this to... Canadian-themed content, furry mooses and stuff. Canadian furries. (laughs) Supporting Canadian furries benefit (laughs) this tax season. Yeah, so you could just give money to people to buy more art through tax write-offs or direct payments. And I feel like also grants and more money in general available from governments for artists is a really great way to pay more artists and incentivize more art to be created by people who might not have the money to do those initial investments to like make a film or get all the equipment necessary to record a podcast, really providing grants. Like Honestly, I, I would think... It would be great if there was like a general artist's fund that had some type of rules through which citizens could access it to first experiment with different types of art and then also produce higher scale things once they've sort of worked into like a specific big project they feel like they're willing to take on. You could have escalating smaller projects to let people grow as artists and pay them through various grants and taxes and other knobs and tweaks. Yeah, there's a lot of different political structures you could set up for the purposes of directly benefiting the creation of art in this like utopian pragmatist lens. Right. I think also part of the answer to this question is like artists deserve to get paid, I agree, and like the file sharing contributes to the advertising of the products and people pirate more stuff than they would ever buy and as a result of pirating more they spend more. And piracy is already helping with this problem. I don't need to come up with any complex societal (laughs) institution to fund the arts in a new way. Although I support that to answer this criticism through the piracy lens. Like, how will artists get paid the same way they always do? Creating models that work for the circumstances that they're in. Forming relationships with the audience and having people support them for sentimental reasons or because they deeply appreciate the artistry. But incidentally, I also believe we should make a society where everyone's needs are met. Yeah, yeah. We can think of a lot of great ways to pay artists, but also piracy doesn't actually hurt artists getting paid. In Steel Manning, the argument, one could imagine a hypothetical small author, musician or something who has a sizable audience, but not enough of their audience believes 
that they need to or should contribute making the work untenable. It's kind of hard for me to believe that someone is at the exact right size where, because I assume that if people are pirating their work to such a degree that they're imagining it's making a dent in their earnings, it's probably not making a dent in their earnings. It's probably earning them more by spreading word of mouth about them. It's not clear to me that even without piracy, they would have enough money to continue on. Yeah. No, that's, I, but, that's true. You know what? You're right. No, no it yeah. makes no sense. <laughs> Either you're small enough where piracy is a net good in advertising or you're big enough where piracy is a small enough net bad in lost sales that you're safe. Yeah, it's probably even a net good in advertising for extremely popular things too. Yeah, no, totally. Like um, I'm sure Game of Thrones DVDs sell a lot better as a result of people pirating HBO or going to other people like yeah. pirating HBO episodes. Maybe it's just my bias and I just assume that that advertising is so great or whatever. But I'm not saying people should be paid in exposure. I'm not saying that like big companies should use artists' work and be like, oh, but we're putting your name on it, so that's good enough. You should just write articles for us and we'll pay you with exposure. I'm not saying that, but I am saying that if your work is popular enough with a fan base that they're naturally sharing it amongst themselves, that I think that will benefit you financially overall. It's different than a company exploiting you for exposure. I just got worried that the people would see that as the same argument, but I really don't think it is the same argument. Yeah, well, doing something for exposure is on behalf of someone else, right? It's like a form of payment. Um, yeah, so saying big companies hiring you and saying we're paying you in exposure is very different from people bottom-up sharing your work and the advertising hoping, sort of exposure you get from that. One of those is an exploitative situation, and one of those is a natural bubbling up of sharing of people loving your art. Yeah, exposure is kind of another word for like attention, and attention is part of what art wants from the world. So, yeah, I just I think it can be easy to look through a particular lens where you're like trying to count every lost sale and like, oh, if only this person hadn't sent a file to this person, I would have got one more sign up on the Patreon or something. But that kind of obscures all the other parts of the interaction that's going on that like leads you to focus on the wrong thing and leads you to the conclusion that you're losing out as a whole from the interaction rather than actually gaining. Yeah. And, and just in a pragmatic thing as an artist, you just cannot be functioning from that kind of resentment towards your own listeners. Well, like, yeah, I think a lot of them like separated out. There's like the good ones. And then there's like the small group yeah, of we, like, we horrible only spank people the bad the kids around here. here. We now go to the wrong town therapy clinic where the anthropomorphized human embodiment of the copyright industry is seeking counseling for their issues. Uh, Doc, I... Oh, I, they're there. They're there. I got my demons too. I might be an, an embodiment of an industry in a physical form, but I got feelings. I have an inner life. You're safe here. You can talk about anything. I'm tormented, Doc. I'm tormented by what I've done. Nah, that it can't be that I've bad. I've been lying. I've what? been lying, Doc, for so long. Well, a lot of people lie, but, you know, why, let's pick it apart. We'll go through it all one by one. Look, for decades, decades, Doc, we've been putting out studies. We've been trumpeting studies that are, like, at best, murky 
at worst, just fraudulent when it comes to the impacts of piracy. We've been doing it for decades. We did it during the era of home taping. We claimed that we were losing more money from home taping than the entire industry was making as a whole. Oh, yeah, that doesn't make much sense. And we had politicians are saying it. They're passing laws based on it. They're passing laws named after Sonny Bono based on this kind of stuff. Coming to grips with the awful things we've done is an important first step. I applaud you for coming forward. And yeah, it would be it'd be difficult for everyone. So you just I just want to say you're doing great right now. <sighs> we killed Napster, man. He was a good kid. He wanted to play by the rules. You murdered a child. We took wow. him out. You know, we've been doing stuff like estimating, you know, the total value of all the copied files on the Internet and then implying and getting sort of like politicians to imply that that's how much money wasn't earned that would have otherwise been earned. Just totally treating these dissimilar things as the same thing. Oh, that every person who downloaded a song would have paid money for it on iTunes otherwise or bought a full album. That is pretty dishonest. Chuck Grassley said that. It's my fault. I didn't correct him. I know sometimes people blame themselves for things that aren't really their fault. Is it, Are you sure that it was your fault? That we you... commissioned studies back in 2000 at the peak of Napster, at the start of the piracy thing, that showed clearly through surveys that heavy music pirates bought more music than non-pirates right. and that pirates were more likely to increase the amount of music that they were buying. We had that data in the year 2000. Right, because they're sampling more. It makes sense they would end up buying more. And you lied about it. Wow. How does that make you feel? I can't live with myself. I look in the mirror, I see a fraud. It was supposed to be about helping the artists. And look what I've come to. We sued children. We, we, wow. we, we sh sued file shares between the year 2003 and 2007, including poor old Mr. Pickle. Sorry. We sued college students, and when they told us that they couldn't pay, we literally told them that they should drop out or switch to community college to pay us. We sued a disabled woman who had only downloaded music that she legally owned on CD. She only. She thought it was wrong to download other ones. We still sued her. How could I live? How could anyone ever trust me again? In 2007, our, our studies are saying that it's cost, the music piracy is going to cost the 71,000 jobs a year. And this is repeated in the media. It's still repeated to this day sometimes. But a 2011 study by the same people showed that only 4,000 jobs could be accounted for being lost over a period of five years. It's just too big a gap. It's just honest. Uh. I mean, I'm yeah, sorry. how would you even tell how many jobs could be lost? It does sound... Okay, no, it's bullshit. It just makes sense. The IP industry outperforms the rest of the U.S. economy consistently during the golden age of piracy. <laughs> it's not credible to say that it would have... <laughs> it's probably a net positive effect. And we know it. I think, um... <laughs> sorry. It's okay. Here's a box of tissues it's hard to own up to these feelings. So I really appreciate the space. Yeah, no, and it is the first step. You know, a lot of people, it takes months in therapy to even get to this point where they can get into contact with their own feelings of guilt and shame and regret. So yeah. you're doing great. A 2008 study done by the Government Accountability Office, the United States, during copyright hearings, found that all these studies are essentially fraudulent and can't demonstrate what they claim they do 
And then they passed our legislation anyways. Because wow. we lobbied them. It's against public interest, plain and simple. We should be encouraging artists, helping them make their great works, protecting their well-being yeah. so they have the space and give them access to art. And... Oh, I think that's a great place to start thinking about what you can do to change. Out I there sued in the a real child. <laughs> Look, that's horrible. I'm not going to mince words with you. I'm disgusted with you right now as we sit here in this therapist's office. Thank you for saying that. That's part of the healing, too. Yeah, I don't, I don't want to downplay the horrific nature of anything you've done. But we can't change the past. We can change the future. And, you know, I've heard a lot of people say, oh, they think industries... Uh, themselves can't have feelings and they'll just pursue profit. <laughs> Citation needed. I think you're living proof that that's not true. And you could show them. You could show them all by changing your ways. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, this feels great. I feel like i am got a big weight off my shoulders. Now, one thing so. we want to make sure is that these therapy sessions don't just become a place where, you know, you confess and then you get, get the weight off your shoulders and then keep on with the same patterns. We want to really make sure that we're instituting behavioral changes on your end. That's such a good point. To really change things. So mm -hmm. what, what kind of hard commitments do you want to make for the next week? Like any lobbying you want to do in the opposite direction of what you've been doing before? Widespread changes in the way you draw contracts? What can you commit to right now? Uh, yeah, I think when it comes to a healing journey... I will be talking to stakeholders for my healing journey. So like the artists and the yeah, consumers? And the, well, in well, copyright industry and lawyers. It feels good to get it off my chest. That's the first step. Yeah, well, we don't want to just get we, it we don't off want to our rush, chest. Yeah, we, we don't want to rush to change the way we do contracts. There's a bigger risk rushing than not rushing. So we'll probably extend the copyright at least one more time. Like a new set of copyright bills to keep things from going in the public domain for a long like we'll, we have, we'll do that just so we have breathing room to actually talk and think about it yeah i because we, we don't want to rush the conversation the, by the it, next round of copyright sure extensions. but we, we also don't want to rationalize kind of continuing the same patterns i don't want to see totally. you in here five years from now saying oh i continue to do all these evil things i feel so bad again yeah no no one wants that exactly well you want to keep and i mean if back. the kid does something really wrong you can sue them I'm not saying I'm going to. I'm just saying, technically speaking. I mean, or just talk to their parents. Whew, I feel I feel great. This is great. Thank you so much. This is a, this therapy office really works. Yeah, therapy is a long road. It can feel good well, after one session. Not in my session, experience. It was actually a really quick road. Having one session can feel like a relief, but really? it is really it's a it's lifelong work. That might be how it feels over there, but I'm telling you over here, my lived experience, and I'm trying to take space to stand up for myself, which is something I have trouble doing. The same time next week? Can I pen you in with a I'll have to. We have to check with ink? stakeholders, but we'll definitely be following up. Okay. Well, yeah, I have my next client. Okay, so goodbye. goodbye. I look forward to another short, good, complete road unto itself well, next time we sit down. The other part of the artists deserve to get paid argument, and I think these are basically the most persuasive arguments against piracy overall. And I think the reason it's persuasive is because we care so much about artists and the well-being of artists. And the other part to it is artists deserve to control their work. This is what Lars Ulrich kept on saying on Charlie Rose and in interviews around the Napster saga. Right. Was it's about control. Artists deserve to control their work. And again, on a superficial level, there's very little to disagree with there in that 
there's some degree of control over the things. Like you wouldn't want to have a situation where Disney can just adapt your short story without dealing you into the profits and, you know, get James Cameron to direct <laughs> Papa and Boy 3D on big screen. Well, yeah, no. <laughs> not that we're not open to that, by the way. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But we're holding out for James. Yeah, if James wants to. He's a Canadian to, director um, and we're Canadian podcast, so it just, it just works. It makes sense. But uh, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I actually, I think when people say artists deserve to control their work, there's like other more fundamental things that I agree with more. One of them is that artists deserve credit for their work. And the other one is that artists deserve to be compensated for their work. So we were just talking about artists getting paid. But just thinking of your Disney example with that in mind, I feel like the world where Disney can just do that because there's no control and they can make all the money off it and not deal us in is not a fair world. But if they can make it without our permission, as long as it's encoded in the law that because it's an adaptation of our shit, they need to cut us X check. Yeah, at least 50% and we need of to be gross or whatever. <laughs> like 50%. That's, that's generous. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but that, I mean, that does set up the incentives as a high risk. You're splitting the profits in half with whoever comes up with the... And then you create a high stakes market of people suing each other to try to convince yeah say, how like, much what was profit what wasn't and yeah and what was an adaptation or homage that wasn't yeah i think there's also it's because i also feel that anyone should be able to make a movie about disney characters and not have to pay disney because disney's already so rich it's one of those like false equivalencies not taking into account the differences in power that massive amounts of wealth should be having on our analysis. They want to just kind of pretend like it's all equal actors. Disney taking your story or characters and making money off of it is way worse than you taking some Disney characters and making a story out of it. Just like you stealing from Walmart is way less bad than Walmart stealing from you as an individual. That I think to some extent, the more popular a piece of art comes, the less you should be able to control it. And also the idea that like companies can own intellectual property rather than a particular artist. Like Walt Disney is already dead. So Mickey Mouse, do they, do they really still deserve that? Yeah. And this I company, mean, a, this thing. Who works too. Let's not forget the real hero of Disney. The guy that Walt Disney ripped off. Oh, right. I didn't even, I didn't even know that, but that makes sense. Uh, it's I W E R K S. Check it out if you're interested in Disney ripping off a much better cartoonist who worked but, for him. But at a certain point, sometimes when people talk about controlling their work, they're actually talking about controlling other people's work. Like when Disney talks about controlling their intellectual property, they're actually talking about controlling what other people can do with like cultural icons that belong to everyone as part of our culture for decades and decades and hundreds of years and like everyone should be able to write luke skywalker stories if they want even hawk them on the street corner in my opinion because i think there's luke a skywalker belongs to everybody i don't know why disney gets the control i mean disney can make star wars movies sure but do they control all other artists in the world I just had a weird wonkish policy idea. What if copyrights sort of like degraded every time they were transferred? Right. They're like less. Yeah, less Old rights. George at Star Wars headquarters 
has the highest level of, you know, first degree artists still alive rights, whatever that looks like. Right, right, right. But because he sells it off to Disney, it becomes sort of like secondhand rights. So some of the rights have went to the public domain and other rights are maintained. And if it's traded again, the the process continues uh, until it's... Yeah, fully degraded. I think that's a great idea. Yeah. Yeah, when we're talking about artists controlling their work, like that's actually one of the things about copyright that I like the least, the idea that nobody else can riff on this or like remix this or, uh, you know, write a short story in your universe. And like there's there's a type of collaboration that gets lost when artists can control their own work. And I understand like you want to make your thing and you don't want other people horning in on it and claiming to be part of the same thing or using your work for their own benefit or something. But I just, it's not a zero sum game. And I feel like it's perfect to have distinctions between who the original author is. And that's why I think credit is important. And like, if you're writing something in the universe of someone else's world, they should get credit. And I don't know if fan fiction is the right term, but it like there, there can be distinctions made and there should be distinctions made between whose vision different versions of a thing is like you know people make cover songs all the time it's a little less allowed to write a book in someone else's world and then be like it's kind of like a cover song or it's like it's in the same universe i don't know i just i I think control is really only in service of compensation and credit those are the valid parts of it to me and you can get both of those things without that the actual part of wanting to restrict what other art can be made that is too close to yours, I actually have fairly little sympathy for, uh, unless it's a case of just outright copying your thing and like slapping your name on it. But for the most part, I favor more riffing. Yeah, no, me too. I think that's really well put. And the issue of exploitation in art is to a great degree, people being underpaid and their ideas being not just taken and used, but taken and owned by someone else. It's kind of like the drink and salt water when you're thirsty thing to apply copyright to a situation that's so clearly and frequently and exploitative to artists. Like, I don't know if we should talk about this, but we talked to this like small company and they're super cool. And like, we really got along with them. And then they gave us a contract that was just like, didn't really makes sense in a regular people hashing out a contract kind of situation. It had this like really like written as a contracty contract to like cover them in the world of dealing with all these outside companies and stuff. But like the weird thing is, is that that's exactly what it didn't give us, right? Is it didn't give us a share in compensation with the, how it proceeds. Right, right, right. Like the contract was if we did some world building and created some kind of universe, a fictional universe, Netflix or Disney or whoever could have made like 10 seasons of a TV show and we would have only got paid for the first season. And yeah, it was interesting. They were even like kind of apologetic about it. They're like, sorry, they're just like, this is just what it is. We couldn't do it otherwise because the industry, it's not a good investment if yeah, we don't. Well, they were nice. So they have to work in this copyright system because they have to be able to buy and sell the copyright. So they have to take restrictive rights away from us and us creating stuff. So you have these like big firms that eat up all the copyrights, exploit all the artists, make all the profits, the rights holders, this thing that hangs off of art and just eats up so much of the money and energy. Oh, that reminds me of the Vampire Diaries. I wanted to tell this story. 
The person who wrote the majority of the Vampire Diaries books created the world, the universe, the characters, everything. The artist behind the Vampire Diaries books, the author, was not protected in their authorship rights by the copyright industry at all. The copyright laws actually prevented them from controlling their own work because they were hired by a young adult publishing book company. They were like, we want a pirate romance series. Hired them to make it. This person does all the work, creates all the characters, does everything, doesn't own the copyright to it. And then after a certain amount of books was kicked off the series by the publisher who didn't like the direction they were going with, they wanted to bring in someone else to finish their book series for them. And actually, in order to finish their own book series, had to publish their final books in the series as fan fiction. And the only reason they were able to publish them as fan fiction and actually sell them briefly was because Amazon had this fan fiction publishing thing that they launched very briefly. And there was only very specific titles you could write fan fiction for because they had deals with the publishing companies to write fan fiction about these particular things. And one of them happened to be Vampire Diaries. So the original author of the Vampire Diaries published her own books to finish her series through this Amazon fan fiction publishing gateway and was able to briefly sell the books. They're offline now. You can only get them pirated versions, but uh, briefly. Thank you God. Could... <laughs> the archival purposes of piracy rearing its head again. But yeah, could you imagine like, oh, copyright protects artists. But yeah, it actually just turns out that copyright protects rights holders. And if you're not the rights holder of your own book series, then they can just fire you and have someone else finish it, even though you invented the characters, plot, storyline, world building, universe, etc. That's how they do a lot of contracts these days, from my understanding. Yeah. So if we want to protect artists, copyright's not the way to go. I think the, one of the things that's set up that most gives artists the ability to control their work is creative commons. They, you can pick different things about your work. Right. But part of the challenge is when you start incorporating other work that you have licenses to, not everything in it can be made creative commons. And so you can't specify which parts are creative commons and which aren't easily. And yeah, the... That's focus and thinking about how artists can control their work, but most artists don't use it uh, for a mixture between pragmatic reasons and yeah. And there's obviously, there's limits to what, how much control you can reasonably expect to have on anything in the outside world, including your own art. It sounds good to say artists deserve to control their work if, uh, in a really simplistic sense, but like, what are the limits to that and how are those limits determined and for what purposes does the control or not control of the work serve like no one would say that artists have the right to prevent people who buy their pieces from doing things with their like if you make a statue you can't control whether or not people break it or paint it right maybe you could argue that you should have that right but it seems a little weird yeah should artists be able to control whether you listen to their music on headphones or with speakers or you can only listen to it in the car I'm okay with artists making these demands, but I'm not sure if I'm okay with the legal apparatus enforcing them. Yeah, I think part of making something for the public is giving up a type of control to it. Like, you know, comedians too sometimes want to control how their jokes land and like people aren't laughing at my jokes enough. They're just too woke these days. These too, too woke these days, these <laughs> college kids. And. You can't control how your work is received. You can't control how your work influences other artists. 
It's just sadly not possible, even if we wanted to, to give artists total control over their work. But the best thing we can do is prevent them from being exploited. I mean, the only way to really keep total control over it is to never show it to anybody. Right. And then you get to imagine that everyone loved it. Or imagine that everyone hated it. You get total control over that. <laughs> oh, poor guy. Imagine that guy. He's made something that he's never showed anyone. He spends all his time imagining everyone, everyone hates it. Uh, but maybe he gets joy from that and he just wants to create the most hated art but then not release it because it would be wrong because people would hate it so much but just gets a private joy out of the idea that people would hate it yeah if that's you i didn't mean to erase you (laughs) yeah control's a bit iffy but the way that art is controlled in current society isn't good anyway we now go to somebody's utopia not our utopia, but but somebody's. Welcome back, everybody, to Common Sense, the daytime talk show that completely, perfectly embodies the middle-of-the-road common sense opinions of our society. Nothing too shocking here today, folks. Just some of the same old daily slop that we love so much. It won't be challenging, but hopefully it's comforting. So I want to just hop right into this. It's been all over the news. A mother was charged for singing a lullaby to her baby. She was singing an improvised lullaby with its own lyrics, and it verged dangerously close to some copyrighted material. Uh, Her windows were smashed in by men who came from helicopters. SWAT team, right? And she was charged $1.29. Can I be the first person uh, on this program, at least, to say that I think that that's excellent. That's amazing. Look, the governmental authority has been very clear for years that this was coming and that you have to mind your P's and Q's when singing improvised songs. The fact that it took them this long to start enforcing it with jackboot thugs, to me, was the mistake. Yeah, absolutely. When it comes to improv, you have to be accountable. You have to pay the person who came up with the idea first, or you have to pay their descendants in the event of their death. Or if a corporation has purchased the rights to it, they pay them. Of course. And if another corporation has bought it again, you pay whoever's bought it most recently. My point is, when I'm improvising songs in my house, I simply don't use copyrighted material. It's easy. Buy a license, for Christ's sake. Oh, well, this is for basic. Sure. Yeah, if you're going to. I don't feel infringed upon at all. Like, this would never happen to me. So I, I'm not worried about intrusions into our rights. It just, if you follow the law, it doesn't affect you. No, we're you. not being infringed on at all. You know who is being infringed upon? The, the rights, rights holders. holders. Yeah, absolutely. If we're going to talk infringement, we're going to talk about that. But on that note, as we all know, singing happy birthday without paying for a license beforehand can open you up to fines and penalties. Get ahead of the curve, work with our sponsor today, use the coupon code COMMONSENSE, and buy a license for a family event plan, which will give you and your family the right to sing happy birthday to each other and to both sing and listen to it as a one-time thing. The other option, of course, being buying the individual ongoing licenses. For each uh, person, for each absolutely. Person. Yeah. So use the coupon code COMMONSENSE and you will get 1% off. That's a great deal. It is. 
So did you hear there was another raid last night on a Netflix party? Netflix parties. Yeah. People going over to other people's houses watching Netflix. It's disgusting. That's the new password sharing to me. Yeah. Reprehensible shit. Sitting on the same couch and watching for... This is why, you know, I've been saying this for years. They need to get a little camera above the TV that films all of our faces and uses Mm -hmm. face recognition. It makes sure that each of us has individually paid for Netflix. That's that's the simplest way. It, it's an easy solution that could be implemented right now. So and I, there's political I will it. for it, but the cowards in Washington won't do it. And it's not like it's hard to simply register each person's personal Netflix code. If you want to watch Netflix together, it's not like that's not allowed. There's a bit of a culture of entitlement these days, honestly. Oh, me and my spouse always watch the same thing at the same time. Oh, yeah, but you still have that's two sets of eyes, two right? Two brains, two people enjoying it. Two subscriptions. What did you think you were signing up for? Uh, uh, the the right to broadcast Netflix to the world? Obviously not. So why would you think you can broadcast it to your spouse or your child or your friends or family? So those people are all rightfully in jail and will hopefully stay there. It's the least we can do in a civilized society. So listen, if you're a busker or a street musician... You're going to be dealing with people overhearing your music who don't chip in. It's a huge problem all throughout history. And it's theft, and it's crime. And it's always been theft and crime, but now there's a new technology. Technology is finally catching up. It's one of our sponsors today on Common Sense. The comprehensive public music listening system is a consumer-end headphone and a busker-end broadcaster, allowing you to play music on a private channel that only paying busker listeners can tune into for an appropriate price. Yeah, so you're out there at your busking station on the street. You step into a special booth that we send you, and it's completely silent to anyone standing around unless they grab a pair of headphones, tap their payment card on there, and select how long they want to listen for. This can be done through your smartwatch. This can be done through your smart glasses. Absolutely. Smart something. If you use the coupon code COMMONSENSE, you're going to get 0.1% off. It's, that's an amazing deal. Buskers need to protect their work. We can't give in to these tides of entitlement, these tides of bad manners, the grabbers, the listeners, the overhearers. Mm -hmm. Uh, I'm Mm -hmm. sorry. I I don't want to get carried away here, but it sickens me. And now finally we have booths like this that are protecting the artists and... I just thank God. I cry and I thank God. Wow, that's deep. We're finally in a new era because of this product. And the coupon code Common Sense is going to give you that discount. So when I think about special busking headphones and I think about boxes on top of Netflix TVs with facial recognition software to see who's watching, Mm -hmm. these things are all amazing technological solutions to real problems. Straightforward utopian trajectory of further technological progress. Exactly. And to me... I don't even think this opinion should be controversial, but it is. The next step, the obvious next step to capture all potential copyright infringement from overhearing is to put chips inside everyone's brains to record what they're thinking, feeling, seeing, sensing in every way. Private thoughts. And monitor all of that for copyright infringement. Why should you be able to think private copyrighted thoughts? If Disney came up with Mickey Mouse, you just get to make little Mickey Mouse stories in your side of your head and oh, get yeah. enjoyment from that? If you've got a song stuck in your head and yeah, no one's exactly. getting paid. So with that, you capture everything everyone overhears in any public place. Yeah. Like you hear a snippet of conversation where someone quotes a famous novel, you owe the author money. No, I think I think rights holders, and I'm, sorry, I mean artists, of course, we 
should make the whole world structured around these artists slash rights holders, even if it means monitoring everything about everyone in perpetuity. And we should also make sure that all ideas that are expressed are original to the highest degree possible. And people laughed at me for saying this, but I've been saying for years, if someone takes your joke, they should be built. If someone says that you tell someone a joke that you made up and then someone else goes on to retell that joke and then get laughs, those laughs need to come back to you somehow. I see the surveillance chip that you're talking about is this huge, just like, whoa, world of possibilities. Yeah, I feel like it really is the final major frontier. Because really, once you get down to that basic level of recording every sensory experience someone is having, even just inside their own head, that's all copyright infringement that could happen. I mean, aside from that, I think the only other legal fights are like, you know, defining which rights and which ways artists can control. For example, some uh, artists and rights holders only want to sell their music to their biggest fans, to people who really love it. So they're saying, if you want to download our music, you have to pay for it and you have to listen to it at least once a day, every day for right. a year or 10 years. Or no, yeah, it's a controversial thing, but I think it's going to hold up in court. You know, they're, they're putting these provisions in the terms of services right. and you have time to read it. You read the whole terms of service and you understand it As legally you and you hit that check and they're saying in it like, look, we only want people who really like this music to listen to it. So you've got responsibilities too. It's a contract. Exactly. We provide the music you guarantee that you're going to be getting that listening in every day for a certain period. Uh, and artists have the right to control their work. And I think that's exactly. just where the that's where the buck stops. It's like, how can you even argue with that? And I don't I don't even see a big limit to that. You know, if an artist says, in order to listen to my album, you need to like it. You need to not just say it's good, but believe it's good. And you can't uphold your end of that contract in good faith. You shouldn't be signing that contract. Exactly. Am I going to get mad at artists for putting that in their contracts? No, I'm going to get mad at the people for signing the contracts that they had every opportunity to find out what it said. It brings me back again to brain chips, because how are you going to enforce that people don't just play the song once a day, but in another room or say they like it and they're really good actors and they like make all the like, oh, I love it. They're really great at acting, mm -hmm. but inside they're lying. Right. Again, these brain chips would really help enforce these contracts. It gives artists control. Way. And I thought that people understood that. You know, when we destroyed all the libraries and put all librarians in history on trial for war crimes and based the new foundation of our society on the realization that it was always wrong to have libraries and that we were wrong forever publicly supporting them uh, or allowing them to exist privately. I thought that people got this stuff, but we're still having to fight against this today. And, you know, I think we will win eventually, but it will take some time. So. Well, we get more intellectual property rights all the time. Things are getting more lock and key. Yep. More and more surveillance every day. Beautiful. So I see new vistas and new horizons. New vistas approaching. and new horizons, exactly. Yeah. All right. Well, yeah, that is all the time we have for this week. Thank you, everyone. Thank you. This has been Common Sense. This episode was also sponsored by Copyright Infringement Liability Insurance. So this is something you can pay on a monthly basis for. Now, look, accidental copyright infringement happens to all of us. Sometimes we overhear things we shouldn't. Sometimes we catch a glimpse. Something catches our eye. Mm -hmm. And... The technology isn't there yet to catch every instance of that. 
But as the technology increases, the rates of this sort of stuff happening is going to increase. So if you buy the copyright infringement insurance, in cases of accidental copyright infringement, if you your lullaby goes off the rails and you start singing some Lars Ulrich. Right. And I understand um, we have a comes coupon down to code actually that will save people money on this insurance. That's right. If you use the coupon code common sense, you're going to get 0.001% off your first month. That's nice. Uh, and you'll be absolutely covered. I mean, not totally covered, but you'll get a lot of coverage. Right. Still not going to be any cakewalk for you, even with the insurance. Thanks, everybody. Bye. And that was Somebody's Utopia. Not our utopia, but somebody's. So we've been through a lot of arguments today about piracy, common arguments about why piracy is bad. And I feel like when I think about it now, you know, at the beginning, I said, I think piracy has more drawbacks than you do. I'm kind of a bit more unsure about it. Uh, And I've been trying to think, you know, what are those drawbacks, the drawbacks that I really think piracy has? And the main one I can think of is like, you know, kind of like this middle upper class person who consumes a lot of small artist work or some small artist work. And they're not paying for it, even though they easily could. And they're just selfishly deciding not to support artists because it's been made available to them. They've pirated things their whole life and they just kind of don't care about the artists that they're enjoying the work of at all. And piracy enables them to continue not supporting small artists, even though they easily could. And when I think about those hypothetical people, who I'm sure there's a few of, but probably not that many because most people aren't like really wealthy or consuming that much small art if they're (laughs) like, I like, yeah, it's, I'm just saying these people might exist. Philosophically, I'll never, ever pay. Even though I love your work, I just refuse to ever pay for any music. And even though I have a lot of money, I'm putting my money aside to maybe like invest in a slavery business or something. Yeah. Or or even just to selfishly spend on more delicious food and non-entertainment services. I'll support all industries except the art industry with my money because I, I don't value you. I just get it for free. So I think... I think that's a very small drawback. I don't think it happens as frequently as artists might like to imagine. I think the real enemy of artists is the copyright industry. But I I get why people are iffy about piracy. But yeah, so I think um, we've talked a lot about reasons why piracy isn't bad. But maybe to wrap things up, we need to talk a bit more about why piracy is just good on its own terms, not in response to any sort of Right. Now that we've of it. cut away the thicket of all the misinformation and, frankly, irresponsible insinuations and attacks on the hardworking pirates of this great world, right. um, including many listening right now who are seeding, thank you very much, and who may have downloaded this episode from a friend without paying themselves. Naughty, naughty. Hey, we're small artists. Please pay yourself. Yeah, look, look inside. Look at your heart. Make yeah, your see what, what you can afford, to be clear. We're I not. say more than you can afford if you feel moved to it. <laughs> so the, the proliferation of peer-to-peer file sharing as an extension of like general purpose computing has been one of the most impactful human technological jumps in history. 
this is an epoch shattering moment of information revolution. It's like the printing press, but bigger, more impactful, more important, more democratizing. And people are going to say stuff like, oh, well, you know, um, what about the bad sides of the internet and blah, 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 blah. It's like, no shit. There's bad sides to the internet. Shut up. We're not talking about that right now. We're talking about file sharing. There's bad sides to the printing press. Like there's a lot of bad books that have been printed on printing presses, but that doesn't mean we want to get rid of printing presses. What if someone used a printing press to print revenge porn? Mein Kampf was printed on a printing press. You're really going to defend printing presses? Printing presses have a lot of ties to terrorism. No, but for real, like this is something that has brought a measurable industry analysts of the recording industry measure it in billions of value to people's lives. Like that's value that comes into people's lives basically out of nowhere. Like I know work goes into creating everything and it's funded and all that stuff, but the places that experience a movie that would never otherwise experience it if it weren't for the unpaid option being available, there's something that is sort of created from nothing by copying. Copying isn't theft. It doesn't leave something less where it came from. Yeah, it's generative. Isn't that a kick in the ass? Value comes out of nowhere. Like you reproduce, you double value. Here's a provocation. Piracy has contributed to lifting people out of poverty. In the world right now, there is more richness. There is more wealth. There's not just more experiences of wealth for people who are at or below the poverty line. There's more literal wealth in their pockets that they can use to have more freedom in their lives. It literally has lifted people from poverty to have access to internet piracy. Yeah, you're just like literally wealthier. And then also wealth spills over into other aspects of your life when you're not spending it on one thing. The power that's unlocked by opening up valves on information sharing is so clear everywhere in every spectrum, every place where you have open access versus closed. There's all these networking benefits and it creates the preconditions, I think, of a revolutionary transformation in society towards a society that has a better orientation towards information, a better orientation towards social and technological progress, and a better orientation towards the rights and dignity of artists as an essential part of a functioning society. And that's like, that's Napster. That connects directly to Napster. It connects directly to vinyl bootlegs. It's like waves of freedom crashing over society. The sort of file sharing revolution of the early 2000s is just one part of a bigger puzzle on the way we treat information in society. But it is, I think it is the moment, it's the turning point into a renaissance where we are at the start of another information society, like our global information system, our sharing and reproducing of knowledge, our infinite replication of access to knowledge, access to experience expanding, and in more cases being removed from market systems. feels like there's a runway here that comes out of piracy and extends into a transformation of society into an ecological and democratic society. There aren't vulgar, violent hierarchies of information uh, that's participatory, bottom-up. It's, it's, it's completely consistent with the, these ethics all flow into each other. And I genuinely think that's embodied in downloading a Metallica album, despite Lars Ulrich asking you not to, and then becoming a Metallica fan, which is something that happens to some some people some of the time. And it's it's great because it's it's exactly what's supposed to be impossible and forbidden. And despite Lars Ulrich pushing them away, saying no, no, we don't want you as new fans. New fans are being created nonetheless. I mean, you. I hope it's not too personal for me to share, but you shared with me that you discovered Metallica through file sharing and 
around the time of the piracy saga. Uh, I was delivering pizza and someone, one of the cooks was playing Saint Anger. And I was like, that's weird music. What is, I've never heard music that sounds like this before. He's like, it's the new Metallica album. And I was like, oh, this is interesting. And I downloaded it and I listened to it a few times. I'd never been into Metallica before that. And this was my favorite Metallica album. That's, it's interesting. I think of St. Anger as it being like they angered the muse by trying to control too much and they like tightened down and they did their mixes weird and they made their like most people that's that's their most most critically panned album album, i think right yeah right after the napster saga but i have never paid metallica for music but nevertheless metallica now has one more saint anger defender than they ever would if i hadn't have been able to pirate that album profoundly like and it might have helped not paying for it might have helped too oh yeah no for (laughs) sure (laughs) that makes sense to me yeah absolutely you're able to just hear the music on its own terms. You weren't like, oh, this better pay off. Yeah, and, and I wasn't a Metallica fan who was like expecting it to sound the same as their other music. I was like, I don't actually like Metallica very much. So if it had sounded like their other music, I probably wouldn't have interested me. But right. um, because of this thing where I just heard it and I was like, what is that? And then I downloaded it and listened to it a few times. I now have a fondness for this album in my heart. Uh, you're welcome Metallica for that fondness so yeah I don't know I'm sure you moved on from this Metallica but if you're listening I just want to really emphasize that finding a nice sincere and true Saint Anger Defender is a very very small cost for the piracy of your music because you need all the help you can get on this one (laughs) yeah overall I agree with you I think People having access to information is a baseline condition for a democratic society where people can make decisions together, make informed decisions together. Um, And I don't think that we've seen the full effects of this historical revolution in technology, peer-to-peer sharing, copying technology that's made it so that the entirety of the history of recorded literature, music, video, etc., cetera, uh, has been able to be available to all at the click of a button, which it's an era that we currently live in, despite the best attempts of the recording and copyright industries to prevent it from coming to fruition. It nevertheless has anyway. And I think it'll be in history remembered as a major in this in the same way as the printing press to like changing the way that people were able to organize their societies around them because of that access to information ideology philosophy and art metallica is just one small part of that yeah internet piracy creates more of everything for everyone it's just yeah it should be moved into the realm of librarianship and away from the high seas escapades of illegality or semi-illegality we could really turn the good part of the internet up to 11 and just like have access to everything in every language yeah and internet piracy sharing it challenges establishes established power structures that are socially damaging and that are preventing the possibilities of like social development in the most positive sense Uh, and who are also exploiting artists yeah it's the legal the when we do it, we're pirates, but when you do it, you're the emperor, apt and true as ever. And genuinely, I think internet piracy has helped the recording industry. It's helped artists. 
It's helped users. It's been part of a networking of society towards greater information density, the continued access of dark libraries on the internet. The amount that I've developed politically and as a person and just in my knowledge base, and then to have the, the privilege to know all this stuff and have the privilege to be able to share it onto other people through the podcast or through other mediums, a lot of that has been facilitated by this sort of, <laughs> a lot of that knowledge seeking has been facilitated by the noble shadow librarians, including work for this episode. Uh, almost all of the all of the books in the description will either have been taken out from the public library by me or pirated by me. So yeah, piracy is nothing to be ashamed of. You didn't do anything wrong. No one's doing anything wrong. It's actually one of the best things that's ever happened to humankind. And I sincerely believe that. And I'd, I'd be happy to field questions or objections to that via email. You, if you, if you, if you didn't pay for this episode, it's been a privilege for us to hold your time and attention this long. Yeah, absolutely. And if you want to head to our Patreon, patreon.com slash seriously wrong and sign up, I'd be grateful. But if not, if you just enjoyed the episode, I'm still grateful. Tell a friend about it. I hope you enjoyed it. Maybe it'd be a fitting end here to play us out. We can get from the Reed versus Carusi lawsuit. Right, the first copyright lawsuit. Samuel Carusi lost the first United States copyright lawsuit in 1845 for playing this beautiful rendition of the old armchair. Play us out, Samuel Carusi. I love it, I love it, and who shall dare to chide me for loving that old armchair? I've treasured it long as a holy prize. I've bid you and embalmed it with sighs. Is bound by a thousand bands to my heart. Not a tie will break, not a link will start. Would ye learn the spell? A mother sat there. And a sacred thing is that all.